Hey, what's up, everybody? Greatest show on dirt coming to you live and pre-recorded from the Sweet Bee Studios. I am your host, Quentin. Listen, we are continuing today with the guest listener series. Frank, man, my buddy Frank joined the podcast on this episode. We uh, recorded it a couple weeks ago. It was a phenomenal conversation, man. I loved it, dude. I'm so thankful for everybody that's emailed and taken the time to actually record a podcast with me because I'm not good at it at all. Like, absolutely not good at having guests. But, like, it was, like, the conversation that each guest has brought has absolutely blown my mind. And it's made me realize that, you know, I don't make this podcast good and I don't make the Instagram good. Like, I don't make any of that shit good. It's really the people that listen and follow along that make it good because, you know, what really makes it special is the dialogue, you know, the sharing of memories and moments. And like one of my favorite things I've been trying to really do a lot more of is respond to comments on Instagram and just the stories people tell. Like, and I know I go on about this so much, man, but that's really, you know, where it's at for me when it comes to enjoying the game. Because, you know, when if you think of some of the best memories you have around the game growing up, it's always with other people, you know, and I think that's what makes, you know, baseball such a beautiful thing is, you know, it's it's so good at bringing people together because, you know, all of us are from different places, you know, across the country, but when we come together to talk baseball, it's like we grew up together and we all know each other, and that's what just, that's what's so special about all these conversations and, you know, interacting with, you know, everybody on Instagram and stuff. It's just like, you know, if I'm having sort of a shitty day, I can get into some of the comments on Instagram and, uh, you know, really be in a much better mood. And I'm ever thankful for the community. And it's it's just amazing because it's sort of made it makes my day a lot of days, you know, because I do love the game of baseball. But more importantly, I love friendship. And it's odd to say that you could get that through a podcast or through social media, but like, I feel like I have that, you know, as a 37 year old dude, it's, you know, you, you get old fast and it's, it's hard to keep up with people and make connections, but you know, I can appreciate, you know, I, I do miss the analog days sometimes, but I can really appreciate, you know, the internet age that we live in because the way it brings people together. But anyway, I won't rant too much on that. But as I sit here out of breath because I ate a box of cookie crisp and me and my dog just went for a run around the block, it's about uh, 1045 at night, man. It's such a good night. And I I always look like lately I've always looked for um, nostalgic moments throughout my day because, you know, like I've always said, this podcast is sort of, you know, turned into like this nostalgia driven podcast about, you know, remembering the good times that we had to sort of reinforce the good times that we have now. And you know, me and my me and my pup, man, my black lab named Brody, he's a wild man, dude. And we'll go on night runs, which pretty much entail us going to the field. I'll let him off leash and we just run like crazy. And it's such a blast, dude. And tonight was such a good night because I think it's about 75 outside or something. And there were just like tons of crickets and frogs out in the woods. And, you know, the street lights were on. And it just made me think of being a kid, you know, like back in those summer days. Because I love you know, the summer months and, you know, the heat and the cool evenings and things like that. Cause it reminds me of being a kid. Like, you know, it was, it was so fun being a kid and, you know, just, we would stay outside all day. And then when the street lights would come on, you know, go and, you know, you beg to your parents like, Hey, can I stay out a little bit? You know, the street lights are on. Maybe I can stay out till 10 o'clock, you know, and then riding your bike, you know, doing some night riding through the neighborhood and stuff like that. But sometimes, you know, if you get a chance to do it this week, 
you know, try to get outside some, you know, like 10 or 11 o'clock or something when everything's so quiet. Because, you know, when we went out this evening, like it was just that, man. It was just quiet and still and dark and the streetlights were on, man. And like just those times as a kid, you know, just running wild, absolutely wild in the neighborhood, you know, skateboarding, riding bikes, just running around, climbing trees, catching lightning bugs, like, you know, starting fires when we could, <laughs> you know, just just all kinds of wild stuff. But I, I can't really describe it, man, but it was just peaceful, you know, to get out tonight and it, you know, sort of reminded me of just being a kid and, you know, just running around and staying out as late as you could. And it was, you know, th those were those were good times, man. You know, like having sleepovers with your buddies and stuff. And, you know, like playing Nintendo all night, you know, watching movies you're not supposed to watch or whatever, you know, like I remember having some buddies over and we were watching like Pulp Fiction. Like dude, that was the shit, man, like such a good movie. And so I was born in 83 and I think Pulp Fiction came out in like 97. So I could have been like 13 or 14 or something like that. And yeah, man, like those were just good times. Like you have buddies stay the night and, you know, like order a Bigfoot pizza and, uh, you know, get like some Dairy Queen and, you know, go to the video rental store and rent a movie, man. We had a place in town called Broadway Video. So we would go to Broadway Video before Blockbuster really, you know, came and, you know, took over or whatever. We had a little place called Blockbuster or I mean called uh, Broadway Video, then a little place called Family Video, man. And like renting movies was such a blast, too. And that was always one of the staples, man, when you know, you would have buddies stay the night or whatever and just like stay up all night, dude. And I remember like trying to stay up until midnight, like thinking I was a badass when I was a little kid, you know, because like you would do your best. And then, dude, I remember we used to watch like a ton of Nick at Night with like Alfred Hitchcock and stuff like that. Like that was good. Dude, I remember watching The Birds or no, it was yeah, Alfred Hitchcock made the uh, the movie called The Birds. I think that's what it was where like all the birds start attacking human beings. Dude, I watched that when I was like six or seven years old and it scared the shit out of me up until like last summer, man. Just scary, dude. But anyway, let's get to Frank's, um, you know, the podcast with Frank. But first, you know, we got to talk about Hood Hat, man. Listen, Hood Hat, my buddy Max is doing damage and he sponsored this episode of the podcast. Now, listen, Hood Hat, you can go to hoodhat.com or go to his Instagram at Hood Hat USA. Now, all of these hats, they are handcrafted in New York, 100% Merino. Well, listen, this is the only sponsor I have and probably the only one I'll ever have unless, um, you know, I just get a chance to quit my job. <laughs> Which, no, I love my job, man. I never want to. But listen, Max, dude, he's just a sweetheart of a guy, man. Hats are handcrafted. And like I said, hoodhat.com, or you can go to Instagram at Hood Hat USA. And his hats, man, he builds them locally in New York, dude. And... You know, their motto is never leave it behind. And his hats, they're just built so well. The first one he ever sent me, oh, which one? Oh, the first one he sent me was that San Diego Jack Murphy hat. And he just sent me a Philadelphia Phillies hat that's uh, the vet. So it says Philadelphia on it. And then it says the vet. And one of the things I like, go to, go to his website and check out the hats, man. I'm really bad at explaining it. But his goal with the hats is to go beyond the game, go beyond the sport, and sort of get into, like, the neighborhood of things, you know? So this Phillies hat I have doesn't even say the Phillies on it, but it just says the vet, like, veteran stadium where the Phillies used to play. And, you know, that's one of the things I love so much about Max's hats is it goes beyond the game and gets into, like, the love and the nostalgia of not only the game, but, like, the neighborhood, like the vet, or Wrigleyville, or Riverfront Stadium, or those certain things, you know, because when you think about it, right, like sort of what I just talked about, like running around in the neighborhood late at night, like, you know, our love of sports goes so much beyond the actual game, and that's Max's goal 
with these hats, you know, each hat he builds, it's sort of intended to take us back to our roots. You know, that's what nostalgia is all about. You know, roots, it gives us a foundation for our life. And his hats do just that, you know, like I hold these, uh, you know, these, these hats that he sends me and it takes me back to just being a kid, dude, and watching, you know, old school sports center and, you know, digging out like box scores when they were in the newspaper and stuff like that. And his hats, are, they're really meaningful and they're well-built hats. So check them out, hoodhat.com, or you can find them on Instagram at hoodhatusa. But anyway, I'll shut up and uh, let's, let's, uh, let's talk to Frank. Here we go, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, yeah, but okay, so I do have a studio in my house. My wife is sort of the brains behind it. So when we moved into this place, it's got the four bedrooms total and it has one downstairs. And she really hooked me up because she knew I wanted to do the podcast. So yeah, man, I've got a downstairs bedroom that is, well, it's not a bedroom. It doesn't even have a bed in it. It's just strictly podcast studio, man, the whole nine. That's amazing, man. And I tell you what, your wife loves you because she knows you love baseball, so she hooked it up for you. Dude, I'm 100% thankful for it every day. Like, when she comes in here, she's like, I can't believe you have all this baseball stuff in here. And I'm like, listen, it's all you, man. It's a lot of, you know, um, like, I just love family, and she's a good one. You know what I mean? Always, like, having this baseball podcast, always sort of, like, resort to talking about family. But, like, she's a hard worker, man. She's got, like, a big-time job. And she really busts her ass. And so I'm pretty thankful to have all this space, man. It's, I don't know how big this room is. I don't know how to tell like square footage of a room, but it's, I've got a desk that's mounted up against the wall. I've got a leather couch behind me and then like three shelves mounted on the wall with like a bunch of baseball memorabilia, like cards I had when I was a kid. I got baseball bats hanging on the walls. It sort of looks like an episode of Hoarders of like a baseball version. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's like you walk in here and it's like, you ever watch Goodwill Hunting? You know what? I haven't seen it. Everybody Whoa. told me I gotta see it. Dude, listen. Okay, well, what I was gonna say is, so Robin Williams play. Robin Williams is in it, and he's one of he's like uh, Matt Damon's character in that movie. He's like his mentor, and he's got like this chaotic office with like baseball cards on the wall and like a bunch of books. And when you look at his office, you're like, how do you have so much stuff in here? Like that's sort of how my podcast studio is. Is I've just got so much in here. But dude. Yeah, you gotta watch Goodwill Hunting, man. It was on Netflix for um, years, and it might still be on Netflix if you have Netflix. Well, you know, recently I just got into the NHL playoffs, and I tell you what, I will be the first to admit I'm a huge fair-weather hockey fan. I don't watch the regular season at all, but the Islanders are making a push. They got into the Eastern Conference Finals last night, and I just like the Islanders because they're the only major sports franchise that just represents Long Island. So That's it's pretty what's cool. up. See, I didn't know that, man. And my wife is from Long Island as well. So I've got, like a couple of years ago, um, I was talking to my father-in-law about hockey, and I didn't realize the New York Islanders were, like, named after Long Island because I'm not that big of a hockey fan. But hockey is, like, one of those sports where it's like what you said with Goodwill Hunting. Hockey's a sport that I don't watch. But I feel like I absolutely need to. Like, I lived in Nashville, Tennessee for four years and never once went to a Predators game. And that's probably my biggest regret because hockey seems – I don't understand it. Like, I know they score goals, but there's also, like, a point total. And, I mean, the only 
hockey players I know are Mario Lemieux and Yarmir Yager because they had the best mullets back in the 90s. But I've got to pick up hockey, man. Like, I think, like, I need a good alternate sport in my life. Um, and I think hockey's got to be the one. But I need a team, and maybe I pick the Islanders, you know? Well, that's what I love about the Islanders because, you know, I went to school in Boston, and okay. I got a, a group of friends that I always text with, and they talk trash because I'm a big Yankees fan. Of course, Yankees-Red <laughs> Sox rivalry. And I was saying to them all this week, like, you know what? And the thing that I always say to, like, my Boston friends fans is, you guys got six states that represent one city. You know what? My two-county team is going to take out your six-state team. <laughs> wait, you're talking about hockey now, right? Yeah, because wait, who's you know this? how, like— what's the, Wait, wait who's the—you're talking about the Boston Bruins? They cover, like, six states are a fan of theirs? Well, yeah, because if you think about it, like— all of New England pretty much roots for the Boston team. Okay, yeah, yeah, because, like, the New England so, Patriots, like, they represent the whole area. Yeah, like, New England is six states. So let me see if I can name them off the top of my head. You got Boston, I mean, you got Massachusetts, Vermont, Rhode Island, Maine, Connecticut, and uh, New Hampshire. Okay, see, I just learned something now because that whole, like, Northeast, I don't know anything about it at all because, like, that's the place I've been to the least. So, But I get it. So the Boston teams, like the Bruins, are, like, one of the powerhouses in hockey. But then you've got the, the Islanders, the Long Islanders, and they're sort of, like, maybe, like, the underdogs of the whole thing because they represent a little area. Well, that's what I love about it. Hell like, yeah. You know, because when people think of New York, of course, everybody thinks of New York City, Manhattan. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, that's just the five boroughs. You got downstate mm -hmm. New York with, with you know, uh, Rochester. Then you got Long Island. And then you have upstate New York, which is massive. But everybody obviously always thinks of New York City. Yep. So, you know, living on Long Island, to have a team that just represents our two counties, when that team does well, it's like, what's up? Hell yeah, man. It's like that being from Illinois, too. It's like when I tell people I'm from Illinois, they're like, oh, Chicago. And I'm like, no, like not even close. Like I, Illinois is such a long rectangular state. I lived in southern Illinois, and I was just as close to Atlanta as I was to Chicago. That's how far away I was from Chicago. But when you think of Illinois, you only think about Chicago. But the rest of Illinois is just – getting drunk in cornfields and, you know, people getting busted for meth, right? It's a whole ordeal. But Long Island, listen, man, I went to Long Island for the first time like four or five years ago with my wife, and I loved the place, man. She took me to this place called Lorenzo's, which is like this Lorenzo's pizza. I think that's the name of it, where they put like the cold shredded mozzarella cheese on top of the pizza, right? Have you been to that place? Is that is it Lorenzo's? I don't think, I, I don't think I've been to Lorenzo's, but there's a lot of good food. And, Jeez, man, you know. Is. That's that's one of the cool things about it. I mean, I live on the on the East End, and the cool thing about it is, is you just kind of have everything at your fingertips. I mean, really, Long Island is kind of like a big suburb, and then the further east yeah. you go, kind of the more rural and spread out it gets, and then you have the farm fields and the beach. And the cool thing I like about my house is, um, you know, my uh, my wife actually grew up on the far. Um, end of the North Fork. Okay. And where our house is, on one end of our road, we got a farm on the north end of the road. So my daughter and I can walk down and check out the goats and the chickens and, oh, that's you know, and, and that cool stuff. And then, you know, on the south end, a little bit down the road, we got the beach. So I've always felt 
so fortunate to live here. And, you know, growing up, it's funny because it's like when you're growing up, you just want to get the hell out of Dodge. You know what I mean? Yeah. You want to experience life and travel. And, and I've, I've had the opportunity, thankfully, to live a few places. But it, once I came back to Long Island, I was just like, this is it. This is home. It is, man. And when you talk about, like, you know, the rural areas like that, like, I love it. Like, when I go back home, the only reason I don't live in Illinois is if you're not in Chicago, there are no jobs. And, like, that's basically sort of the reason. Like, there's just nothing there. But I still love getting back home because the rest of Illinois is sort of like that, too. It's like farmland. Like, my sister still lives in southern Illinois. She's got, like, 12 chickens because I think her pit bull ate a couple of them. Like, it's just good, easy living. <laughs> but then when you've got some cities around you, too, you know, it's really nice. But to be able to sort of share those moments, like with your daughter, you know, talk about, like, goats and chickens. My sister one time had two goats, and they were some sort of, like, something jumping goats or something like that, like a particular type of goat. And she had a couple of those for a while, man, and the kids loved them. And, you know, what's cool about it, too, is that I think when you grow up in small town type of places, everybody respects the town. You know, you don't like with us, we get a lot of tourists in the, in the summer season. And uh, I can always tell immediately when the tourists get here because you see litter yeah. outside of the tourist season. You don't see litter because the people that live here respect where we live and, and are proud of it. Yeah. So. You know, it's like as soon as the school year ends, the tourists start coming out here, and it's good. You know what? I'm, I don't resent it at all. In fact, I think it's a good thing because it creates a lot of jobs. It brings commerce. Sure. It brings business to the area. You know, the things you need to, to for people to live. But at the same time, you can tell when the tourists are out here because you don't see garbage on the beach. You don't see it on the road unless, you know, it's after the school year ends. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome to have pride in the land. I think as our as we everybody moves faster now because we've got cell phones and email follows us everywhere and you know, I I don't my wife and I want to live more rural like we don't right why we don't right now, but there's just something about like good clean land, having respect for the land, respect for people around you. Like I remember being back home in Illinois like, I would just ride my three-wheeler up and down the road. When people would drive by, we would wave at each other. And, like, that's how you always know you're in a good area. Like, if people respect the area and then people give you a wave when they drive by, even, like, if you don't know the person and they wave at you and you wave back. And that sounds like that's sort of what the Long Island area is like. Like, I remember when I went there, it was just a clean, homey area. And Well, it yeah. depends where you are. I mean, I'm of not course, really with anything, too familiar yeah. with, with West. But I'm pretty far east, and I think, like, more west, the closer to the city you are, the more congested it is. But the further east yeah. you go, the more rural it becomes. And, you know, that was one of the cool things I really enjoyed about your podcast was I felt like you and I had a lot in common, the way we grew up, our dads. Um, by the way, I, I hear you talking about the Eastons on your podcast. How's the softball league going? Dude, the softball league? Okay, listen. First of all... <laughs> It's going good. Like, I take it so serious. Like, my wife looked at me one day. So, I, and I probably told you part of this story. 
But I had one time I stretched a single and do a double went head first. If I ever get the chance to slide head first, listen, I'm 37. Something's going to break at some point, but I still go for it. <laughs> I was, I slid head first in a second. My arm is pouring blood. I mean, it's dripping blood. And I kid you not, I wipe the blood off my arm and I start rubbing it on my jersey when I think nobody's looking because I want to look bloody. But it's – listen, I've never – it's so fun, so fun. Last week's game – well, we had a game scheduled for Monday, and it got rained out. But we made the playoffs because we snapped off, like, a six-game winning streak, and it got us in the playoffs as the low seed. And we've already – it's a double elimination, and we've won our first two playoff games. But when I tell you, like, win or lose, the camaraderie – in the dugout, listen, I wasn't expecting it. I've got a baseball tournament in September, so I signed up for the softball league because I just wanted to field some balls, right? Get in a dugout, do some running, whatever it is. But we've got a group of about 12 guys that take it serious. Dude, we're cheering for each other when someone hustles out a single or, you know, stretches a single into a double. And I've, I've made probably 12 really good friends that I could see myself keeping, and I never expected that. And it's just so fun. It's like playing ball when we were kids, you know, and I never thought it would be like that. But it actually, it's got me into, you know, baseball more because now that I'm playing it, it sounds so crazy. But when I'm watching a game, it's like I feel like I can relate to him a little bit because, you know, I'm in the dirt now too a little bit. And like on a lot of my podcasts, I've been encouraging people to like get out and do it because, you know, how old are you? Are you close? Are you 30? I'm 41. You're 41. So you just got me by a few years. And it might not be the same with you, but I've moved a couple times. Went from Illinois to Nashville to now I'm in North Carolina. Well, technically South Carolina. And it's sort of like, I feel like as dudes, like as we get older, it's a little bit harder to make friends, you know, depending on where you work out or what your day-to-day routine is. And as I've gotten older, I value friendships more than ever because I think I'm getting a little more sentimental because, you know, I've got, you know, my wife and my daughter, and they mean a lot to me. And I'm just more of a, like, a relationship person. Like, I value relationships more now than I ever did. Like, having this conversation with you, and if you're listening to this, like, Frank, we've only talked on the phone, like, one time before this. And it's like, we're I don't know how long we're going to talk tonight, but I'm having fun, and it feels good. And I think that's why a lot of people enjoy the podcast is because, you know, there's sort of like that camaraderie there where you're sharing an experience with somebody that you don't really know, but you can sort of like bond with baseball. And that's what I feel like is happening in this league. So I gave you probably a five-minute answer you weren't expecting, but it's just so damn fun. No, but you know what? That's legit because it's – and and that's what I really found enjoyable about your podcast because, you know, like we touched on before – there's you and I and sports fans across the world. We love our teams. We love sports. Oh, yeah. And it's like you tune into ESPN. You tune into your local sports network. Like I've been watching MSG and the Yes Network for as long as I can remember now. But the thing that was so refreshing about your podcast and what I found so cool about it was you were talking from like a fans and a life perspective that I think people could relate to. So when you started talking about your dad being in construction and working real hard and coming home and still finding the energy to throw you around the balls and never complaining, my dad did the same thing. And what I thought was so cool about my dad was that 
growing up, you know, he his family didn't grow up with a lot of money, so he didn't have a lot of this, uh, a lot of um, opportunities to do a lot of things because yeah. he was working all the time. But uh, even though he wasn't a baseball fan, because he knew I loved it, he always had it on his mind. And my dad's an arborist. Um, I grew up on a nursery. He has a landscaping company, so he does a lot of a lot of work of digging up the earth and planting trees and oh, really okay. redoing yards and he's you know he's got a a, a skid steer at new holland and he that's just his thing he loves it so when he was doing this type of work he's always digging up cool stuff like old bottles and while doing this oh yeah he'd dig up softballs wiffle balls tennis <laughs> balls and he would keep an empty bucket in the back of his pickup truck and anytime he'd find the ball he would just throw it into that bucket and he'd come home at the end of the day and he'd pitch me a bucket of balls. And it's like you talked about on your podcast before, now being older, having a family, you know, all these responsibilities. I, I just respect my dad so much for finding that. And it's the same reason why I can never say no to my daughter when I get yeah. home, no, no matter what. Like, I'm going to get on that playground with you and I'm going to play and I'm going to run around because that's what my dad did for me. And it's like you talk about, I think it's where you can relate baseball to life. And, and the conversation that we're having right now is relatable because that's real life. It's what people do. Yeah. I think self-sacrifice to me, that's the most amazing thing ever. You know, you talk about your dad, not really being a baseball guy, but doing the things because he knows that you like them and then continually busting his butt, you know, in the line of work that he is in or was in, I don't know if he's retired or not like that's, that's hard work. You know what I mean? Like my old man worked construction and, you know, so we had dads that were out, you know, on their hands and knees, just working their tails off and that self-sacrifice. I, I admire that so much. And I'm like you like that, you know, as well motivates me, you know, to do extra things for my wife and my daughter. Like if my daughter's up at 2 a.m., I'm like, listen, let's do this. Like my dad wouldn't complain. Or if my daughter's like, hey, can you hang this up for me? You know, not to be like, oh, yeah, I'll do it later. Like, no, like get up off your ass and do it, you know. And like I like I admire what your dad did because I think that's huge. And to be able to like repeat that with our family. Like, I think that's what so much of this community is all about. You know, like me and you sharing this conversation, you telling me about your dad, me telling you about my dad, and then to know that we're passing this down to, you know, our, our kids and things like that, I think it's an awesome thing. Um, I was, if you don't mind. Oh no, uh, I don't go ahead. I was going to say, I actually got a cool story about oh, yeah. one of my favorite baseball cards ever. Cause um, the house I grew up in was, built in the 1800s and you know the nature of my dad and, and the business he's in and being an arborist and cultivating trees and stuff he was always out in the yard um you know digging and working and stuff and one day i'm hanging out in the house i'm probably about 10 11 years old and uh, i was born in 79 so um you know it's probably around 89 90 sometime and my dad comes running in the house and he's like, Frankie, look what I found. I'm like, what'd you find? He's like, I found this baseball card. And, he's, and he shows it to me and he's like, you know who's on this card? And I couldn't believe it, Glenn. It was the 1978 um, Paul Molitor, Alan Trammell rookie card. Nice. No and way. I was like, Dad, what are you kidding me? Like, this is Paul Molitor and Alan Trammell, man. These guys are studs. And he's like, Frankie, I was outside. You know, I was doing yard work, man, and I was 
I was digging up a, a tree, and all of a sudden, I saw something blowing in the wind by the road. So I was like, you know, I'm, I had to go see what it was. And all of a sudden, you know, I looked down, and it's this baseball card. And I brought it. So, you know, I brought it in. I know you love the cards. And uh, he brought it in to me. And I was just like, oh, my God, Dad, this is, this is you know, these two guys are going to be Hall of Famers. I can't believe you saw this card blowing in the wind outside. And I have no idea how it got there. Maybe it fell off the, the spokes of some kids' bikes. <laughs> Maybe it blew out the window. But all I know is I have it in my collection now. And, nice. You know, what, you know, I know a lot of people are into buying and selling cards, and that's cool if that's your thing. But it's why my baseball card collection is so is, – is such a part of me that I can't sell it because, to me – a lot of the cards that I have represent the relationship that I have with my dad. Cause my dad, you know, I mean, the pickup trucks now to me are like living rooms, man. They're so much different than what I remember growing up in with the one long, you know, um, bench seat and the roll down windows. Dude. And, um, now you got these, these awesome big trucks and, uh, you know, it just reminds me of that time because when I really started getting into baseball was my dad was always going around hustling, um, checking on job sites, you know, making sure that things were going right with the crew, talking to clients. And, um, I spent a lot of time with him in his pickup growing up. And, uh, you know, we'd always stop at the deli and we would stop at the deli and get something to eat. Um, he would always get me a wax pack with my bologna and cheese sandwich. And that's what started my love of baseball card. Okay. Dude, that's awesome, man. Yeah. I know what you mean. Like spending a lot of time in the truck. Like, yeah, those old trucks with like the bench seat. Like my dad had an S10 with a vinyl, like a vinyl bench seat. That thing was probably 150 degrees when you would sit on it. Like I I swear, like the back of my legs just turned into leather at some point because when you'd get in that truck, it was so damn hot, man. And like it was just a little four cylinder, and he'd drive that thing so slow because heck, it only had I think like seventy five horsepower. They called the engine the Iron Duke, and he gave it to me when I turned sixteen, and I absolutely loved that truck. And it actually, like someone rear-ended me about like a year into having the truck, and me and my old man, we bought the truck back from the tow service because when it was no we bought it back from the insurance company because the truck got totaled and we bought the truck back from the insurance company for 500 bucks and the reason why it got totaled is because the frame bit because i got hit from the back so hard me and my dad straightened the frame put a new truck bed on it and just drove it man and it was such a fun truck because it was rugged man you know it had a separate key for the ignition in the door it, you know, it had air conditioning by the grace of God because summers in southern Illinois are atrocious. It didn't even have a cassette player in it, man. It was just a radio. The headliner upstairs, it's fallen down, so we got thumbtacks on the ceiling. And I know what you mean about that, man, just spending time in the truck. You know, a dirty truck. Maybe it's got some cigarette butts in the ashtray, some honey bun wrappers on the floor. Smells a little funny because, you know, our dads were working men. But, dude, it's just those little things, man, that mean a lot. Like, it's crazy how those little things like that can just take you back like a time machine and just make you think of all these things. Oh, and and that's why, you know, I love the wax packs to this day, you know, is at 41, like, I still love them. And, you know, speaking of, of you and your dad are going to take that trip to Cooperstown, you think, huh? 
Dude, so we might try to go in September. So he's figuring it out on his end. But I'm glad I had that conversation with you because it was me and you the first time we talked on the phone. You were talking about Cooperstown. And it was either Cooperstown or Iowa. I don't remember which one it was, but I think it must have been Cooperstown because I called my dad like the day after me and you had that first conversation. And I was like, hey, do you want to go to Iowa? But then I remembered the conversation I had with you. And he's like, oh, what do you, you know, because we were going to go to the Field of Dreams or whatever. And then I was like, well, hey, would you rather go to Cooperstown? And he was like lit up. He's like, oh, I'd go to Cooperstown for sure because he's never been. Like my dad is such a simple country guy. He's never been on an airplane. Like he's got, my sister has five kids and they all live close together. So my brother's got two kids. Um, who was also born in 79. That's my older brother. And he lives in Kentucky. So they're not, they live about three hours apart. My wife, myself, and my daughter are like nine hours away. So my dad's got those five grandkids really close. And that's sort of just his life, you know? Like he still, he tinkers around the garage. Like he'll fix like two-stroke and four-stroke engines for people around town. And he's just a simple guy. Like he's never been to Wrigley Field, not once. He's only been to Bush Stadium because Chicago's like five hours away. And he's like, I don't know, you know, I'll just I'll just hang out at the house, you know, hang out with the kids or whatever. So when I called him about Cooperstown, I was like, I don't know if this guy's going to go or not. And I still don't know if he's going to go, but I know he wants to go. But he's such a hard worker. It's like he spends so much time with, the five grandkids and it really helps my sister out, you know, so my mom and dad are around him a lot. And I think part of my dad, maybe I don't know if he wants to go yet is because I think he would feel guilty because he's just such like a hardworking family dude. And I don't know if he thinks like, cause he doesn't take vacations. He's never been on a plane. I don't think he's ever seen the ocean. You know what I mean? And I hope he goes, I want him to go because like time flies by so fast, man. And that's why I like having these conversations, you know, and really trying to focus on family because it just goes by so quick. So I hope he goes, and the plan's going to, you know, we're going to try to do it in September. I tell you what, if I can just make a suggestion. Oh, absolutely. What if you just book the hotel because he won't want you to waste the money and say, Dad, listen, I, I planned this trip. Say you want to go in mid-September. Tell him like mid-August so he has a week to plan and be like, I already booked the hotel. I already got time off of work. I set it all up for us. Let's just do it. We're going to go X days. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Um, and I think I think he'll go because I think he wants to see that stuff. Like he he's an old school baseball guy. Like that Ken Burns documentary, every time we get together, like that's all he talks about. And then like – Buck O'Neill, one of the guys that was in the documentary, wrote a book, and he's a huge Buck O'Neill fan. So, like, baseball history, the guy absolutely loves. But, yeah, I'll keep you updated, man. I'll, I'll try to pull that one over on him. But I told him, I was like, listen, I'll book the whole place and everything. And I was like, you can meet me halfway or you can drive here to see Emmy. That's my daughter. And then, you know, I can drive us up and we'll just make, like, a big road trip out of it and, you know, stop at some places along the way and just, hell, take a week and just do it, do it. Yeah, man. I tell you, because my wife, um, she's really cool. I just want to give a shout out to her because, uh, you know, asking her to marry me was the best decision I ever made in my life. Uh, but, what's up, man? Um, yeah, so, I mean, God, my, my wife's name is Leah. I just I just love her. But uh, so she took me to Cooperstown. It was either in September or October 
of 2019 for okay. my 40th birthday. Nice. And uh, the thing that was so cool about it is my my wife and my daughter are, you know, kind of girly girls. They're not really into the whole baseball thing. Like, my wife will watch a baseball game with me, but, you know, it's not it's not her thing. So we went up there, and one of the coolest things about Cooperstown is Double Day Field. So, you know, I went there with my wife was walking around shopping on Main Street and just, you know, doing her thing. So I first went with my daughter to uh, a game. And what's cool about Double Day Field is you can pay to rent the field. So you don't have to be like a professional team to play on that field. If you have enough guys to get enough money together or, or gals, you can rent that field and actually play on it. So I went there with my daughter and we're watching the game and Quentin, I couldn't believe it, man. We got a foul ball and I was so excited. So I give it to my daughter and within 30 seconds, she drops it beneath the bleachers and you can't get underneath the bleachers. <laughs> Aww. Poor kid. So, you know, I'm a little disappointed, but you know, what am I going to do? She's like four or five years old at the time. I don't, you know, whatever. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, there's not too many people here. You know, eventually we'll get another ball. So it ended up that it was a men's league from Long Island that was actually playing the game on the field. Okay. And it was so cool because in right field, and we're sitting in the right end in the stands, like a little bit past first base, mm -hmm. there's this guy in his early 20s built like a brick house. Oh, Jack. <laughs> and he, he's playing right field. He's number 99, like Aaron Judge. Oh, I thought you – okay. So um, the next inning after my daughter dropped that foul ball, um, the Long Island Aaron Judge gets up and hits a monster bomb Get over the here. stands and everything in right field uh -huh. into somebody's backyard. And I'm like, whoa. Um, we, like this kid is this kid's incredible. Yeah. So we got another foul ball, which was really cool. Oh, My wife came awesome. over, and um, when the game with the game still going on. I handed my the ball to um, a girl that was on the side of the field, and I said, listen, can you get number 99 to sign this ball for me? So she's like, yeah, no problem. And um, she comes back, and she has the ball signed. So we stayed till the end of the game, and the coolest thing about it was they let us onto the field. Um, you know, my wife and daughter are going around. We're taking pictures in the dugout. We're walking around around the infield. Um, taking all these cool pictures. I'm standing on the mound like, you know, I'm Nolan Ryan or something. Oh, of course. You have and, to do uh, you have to do the Nolan Ryan wind up, maybe like Hideo Nomo, Greg Maddox. Go through the whole routine. And you know, I took the ball and passed it around to the team and the whole team signed it. And it's one of my favorite pieces of memorabilia because the thing that was so cool about it, like, you know, my daughter's name is Katie, she doesn't know. Like, she didn't know if that's the difference between the Yankees and, you know, uh, uh, a summer men's league team like yours. So she just knew we were on the baseball field, getting autographs, having mm -hmm. fun, hanging out. And uh, it, it's just such a cool memory. And then we went back again the next day, and we did the same thing. And we went onto the field afterwards, and we had the guys on the team sign it. And the cool thing was, too, like, think about it on the other end, Quentin. Like, if you're playing on that field – 
and you got a family come up to you and hand you a ball and ask you for your autograph for their kid, how cool would that be? Dude, it's like kids are the sweetest thing, man. Like, I love what, first of all, I love what you said about your wife, right? Like, my wife is, like, I feel the same way about my wife. She's way too good for me, man. And it's a lot of her self-sacrifice is the reason why I even have this podcast studio, you know? Like, she busts her tail every day. But, I mean, both sides of that story sound amazing. Like, to be, like, to watch my daughter grow up, like, they're just so energetic and happy and, like, pure of heart, and they just enjoy life. And, like, watching my daughter reminds me to, like, hey, like, have fun and enjoy life. So when you talk about, like, what would that be like for the player, like, I imagine it would be the greatest thing ever. But then likewise for your daughter, where she gets to experience, like, all these big baseball guys, even, you know, if she's a girly girl or not, like, that's an experience that she'll never forget. Like, I think a lot of the best experiences in life are outside, you know, like so much of like what I remember growing up were like things we were doing outside, like staying out late, catching lightning bugs. Like, you know, my dad used to take me, there were like, I think they're midget cars or something, or I don't know what they are, but there's a little racetrack by, um, you know, my house where I'm from or whatever, like a 10 minute drive or mate, they're midget cars or funny cars or something. Either way, my dad would take me to the tracks like on Saturday night and I'm not even a race fan, but I remember those times just being so fun because, like, I, I wasn't into it. Like, you know, I didn't, like, follow any sort of racing or anything like that. Um, but, you know, sort of like your daughter to where maybe, like, you know, she doesn't follow baseball or anything. But, like, those moments to me meant so much. And to be out there on the baseball field and to take the field, like, after the game, I bet you guys had a blast. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, just to give you an idea of, like, you know, how how fortunate I am with my life, um, so we're in Cooperstown for two days. We're doing all the baseball stuff. The Main Street mm-hmm. is, in my opinion, just as cool as the Hall of Fame because all oh, yeah. of Main Street is little shops of baseball cards, jerseys, memorabilia. And the cool thing about these shops is, you know, you have Hall of Fame week every year or weekend, whatever it is. But So all of these shop owners have personal relationships with the Hall of Famers because they come to their shops and sign. So you go in there and you talk to these shop owners and they know Wade Boggs, you know, they know, you know, these um, legendary players and they all have these personal stories. Like when we were talking before, and you know, people have heard of that, that legendary um, Miller Lite story with Wade Boggs and how many beers he drank. (laughs) And um, I was like, you know, you got a lot of Wade Box stuff in here. Do you do you know him? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, what's the deal with the Miller Lite? He's like, well, I can tell you what. When Wade's in here, he's drinking Miller Lite the whole time he's signing. That's, and if he's signing and, in there uh, for like three or four hours, it's like, listen, if you drink, <laughs> let's say you drink four beers an hour for four hours, I mean, that's an easy 16. And if he's going to get out, I mean, you know, who knows, man? Well, so after we're there two days, um, it's my actual birthday. And we're staying at the um, Cooperstown Inn just off of Main Street. And it's a real old, um, nice uh, bed and breakfast type place. Okay. So where my wife and I are sharing a two-bedroom um, room with my daughter. So at the time, my daughter's young. You know, she, I think she's four years old. And uh, well, she's still young now, but younger then where she had to go to sleep earlier. So we have dinner. We get back to the room. And... Uh, you know, it's like 8.15, and we're already in bed. 
and it's my birthday night, 40 years old. So I look at my wife and I'm like, Leah, listen, I'm 40 years old tonight. Like I can't go to sleep before nine o'clock. I'm like, you got to give me a hall pass <laughs> to, to get out of the room, go to the bar and um, have some beers and watch the Yankees. Like I, I can't go to sleep before nine o'clock. I just got, I just got too much energy. So she's like, all right, you can go, but listen, we did all the baseball stuff for, you know, 48 hours. So tomorrow's going to be family day. We said we were going to go to the um, farm museum. We said we were going to do some family stuff. So you get hammered. That's on you. (laughs) We're still doing everything we planned to do. And you feed her on the floor at 8 a.m. A hundred percent. Don't care if you get in at four. Let's go. So at first, I'm walking along Main Street, right? And all I want is a beer and sit down and watch a Yankee game. Oh, yeah. So I go into this first bar, and um, it's a little bit of a fancier place than I thought, and they got a band and the music's going. And uh, these girls come up to me, and they start talking to me. And, like, I've been with my wife for so long, since I'm 25 years old, I don't even know what to do. So I'm like, hold on, I got to go outside. I got a phone call. And at this point, I'm just looking for a dark bar where I can sit down with the beer and just watch the Yankee game. Sure. So I get off of Main Street, and I forget the name of the road, but um, I find this bar. It's got a green front, if I remember right. And um, the name of it is Coolies. And uh, I go in there, and there's like five people sitting at a horseshoe bar. The Yankee game's on in the corner. And I was like... This is this is the spot. This is where I'm chilling tonight. So uh, I walk in. I have a couple beers. All of a sudden, I start talking baseball with this guy. It's cool as hell. He's like, I'm like, so where are you from? Um, are you are you originally from Cooperstown? I forget what he said, but he said um, either Minnesota or Michigan. And he's like, you know, I got divorced from my wife, and I love baseball. I applied for a job at the, at the hall of fame and I actually got it. No way. So he said, uh, my, I called my, co- I talked to my company and I said, you know, if I move to Cooperstown, can I keep my job? And they said, listen, you're in sales. You know, you can sell from anywhere. Just, you know, keep doing what you're doing and, and, and making sales. So he moved to Cooperstown and he has a job on the weekend where he just walks around with a tiger's pin and talks to baseball in the Hall of Fame. That has to be the best job ever, just to walk around. And, like, like I imagine Cooperstown is, like, this quaint little, like, quiet town with, like, you know, like, you did a really good job, I feel like, of, like, describing the field and, like, the cool bar that you found and stuff like that. Like, this guy's got to be living the dream right now. And just to be able to go around and talk baseball, because I feel like the type of people that come to Cooperstown, so many of them got to be like old school, older dudes. Like, I, I don't know, but like, you know, like I like talking baseball with people that are much older than me, like 50, 60, 70, you know, because they have such a different perspective. So I bet what he does on the weekends, it has to be the most rewarding, fun thing to do. Oh, and that's the thing that what I think is so cool about it is like I don't think you can not live there and have at least at least some kind of mild love for baseball yeah. because that's what the commerce is based around, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like because 
you have small rural New York upstate towns all around Cooperstown. And then you have Cooperstown where there's all of this business and revenue because of the Hall of Fame. So I think if you're there, you kind of have to like it. So I stayed there just talking to like three, four people, talking to the bartender, you know, getting into debates. Is Ricky Henderson the greatest baseball player of all time? Oh. Should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? You know, um, should Shoeless Joe Jackson have been banned? And just having these conversations for hours, and then all of a sudden I'm like, shit, it's three in the morning. Like, <laughs> I got to get back <laughs> to the room. <laughs> Dude, you really stayed so, out till three uh, o'clock? Yeah, about Dude, that. Cause, um, what a time. The next, man. So, you know, the, um, in the morning, my wife's shaking me. She's like, Frank, Frank, we got to get to the farm. Remember, we said we were going to the farm museum? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. Like, just give me 10 minutes. She's like, how did you, why did you drink so much? I told you we were going to, the, we were doing family day tomorrow. I'm like, nah, nah, I had like five beers. It's all good. Like, you know, I had five beers over like three, four hours. She's like, the receipt's on the floor. <laughs> it says when you close your tab. <laughs> oh, shoot. What was the tab, man? A pretty good one? I think it was like 70, 80 bucks, you know. I mean, I didn't care. It was my birthday. Hey, if you're in a cheap bar baseball. buying $2 beers, that's a pretty good amount, man. I'd say you got your money's worth. Well, you know, and then, well, you know, once you start getting feeling good, then you go to shots Jeez, and then, oh, yeah. you know, you start buying people rounds. And, and I was just having fun. It was my birthday. It was bokey. I'm hanging out there, you know, we're all having fun. And I probably tipped the guy well, too, I'm sure. I mean, you, you're taking up a stool for for five, six hours. You can't leave with a $5 bill on the table. <laughs> Dude, absolutely, man. There's It's so fun. Just part. I don't drink as heavily as I say I do on the podcast, but I love to drink a beer while I'm watching baseball. Like, there's a bar in Chicago called L and L Tavern that I watched. Um, I was there for 2016 for the Cubs World Series. My wife and I went. Um, we were engaged at the time, and we didn't have any tickets to the ballpark, but we found L and L Tavern. Man, this place had like four old school tube TVs on the wall. They must have been Magnavoxes from like 1995. It was cash only. We're drinking like $2 hams, $2 old styles, um, like $2 stacks, like whatever they got, PBRs. And it was just a good, simple time. Like we drank a bunch of beer, watched the game. We were talking baseball with people that we didn't even know. There were Indians fans in there because folks had driven from Ohio as well. And like, I also remember when I was in college, uh, me and this old dude that I know, Joe, we had a watermelon stand, and we would sell watermelons on the weekends, make good money at it, man. We would drive to Indiana and buy watermelons and cantaloupe in bulk and then come back and bring them back and sell them. They were damn good, man, because they had sand in the soil, something your dad could probably appreciate, man. And by the way, his work sounds phenomenal. I love the land. I've got some roses and some lilies that I'm tending to in front of my house, and I water them every morning, every night, like it's a blast. But I won't get off on that aside because I'll talk forever. Um, but my grandpa would come there um, like around noon every Saturday while I was selling watermelons, and he'd be like, hey, get in the truck. We're going to go to lunch. And we would go to the VFW, drink a beer, have like some catfish or a burger or something like that and just watch whatever was on the TV. And so like when you're telling me that story about 
you know, just drinking a bunch of beer, talking ball till three in the morning, and all of a sudden you got a $70 tab and didn't know it. I think those are some of the most, like, like those are cherished times. Like, like, and, and it's so simple too. And I don't know, like I've, what's been on my mind a lot lately is what is it about the game of baseball that does this? Like, are there football fans that talk so nostalgically about the game or basketball fans or hockey fans or NASCAR fans, you know, and I don't really know, but there's something about baseball that's magical in that sense to where it really brings people together and creates this awesome times, you know, and it's sort of like when you had mentioned about, you know, the truck earlier, how you went with your dad everywhere in the truck. Sometimes it's like that with me with a beer as well, where like, I'll just drink a beer. Like, you know, my grandpa used to drink Keystone Light. So like, I'll drink a Keystone Light and watch a game. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to get a headache and this beer tastes like urine or if how urine I think might taste. And uh, it's just such a great time. Well, you know, with baseball, I think the thing is that football is like everybody gets hyped up for that one game a week, mm-hmm. you know? So there's so much anticipation towards that one game that it's like you got to live out the whole week in three hours. And what I love about baseball is that it's a marathon. It's every night. And I think there's something to that where really it's the only sport where you can play six games in a seven day week, you know, cause basketball, it's like, usually they got a, a, a day in between um, hockey. You can't play NHL hockey every night. No way. Um, you know, so I think baseball is, the fact that it's 162 games and it goes so long, it's just, uh, it's different than any other sport, but I think the history behind it, because you're right, the nostalgia, like, and especially memorabilia. If you look at, like, memorabilia, baseball memorabilia in value and in, like, historical sense trumps, like, everything else by a long shot. Yeah, yeah it's off the charts. And... It's interesting because now it's like, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, we grew up in the junk wax era. And now all of a sudden some of these cards, man, are off the chart. You look on eBay. Like, I looked on eBay last night, and I think for a 93 upper deck, just plain Jordan, um, it's fetching like six, five, six hundred bucks on eBay. I had like six of them. If it's graded like a 9 or a 10, yeah, dude. It's because I think it's guys our age are sort of just like, you know, are pretty excited for that nostalgia because it takes them back and we've got money to spend on them now, you know, and it's just it's so much like, you know, card shops aren't around anymore like they used to be, you know, like we'd ride our bikes to the card shops, get some pogs, get some cards, you know, spend all of our paper route money. And it's like eBay, all of that's at our fingertips and like I'll buy junk wax cards off ebay and i don't buy anything graded i don't buy anything expensive i just buy stuff that's sort of like that paul molitor card you described or who was on it paul molitor and alan trammell uh, alan trammell and like that's how i buy my cards like i buy cards that like i either one that i remember that i had when i was a kid that lost or just something that reminds me of it like I got my brother had an Ozzy Smith Diamond King when he was on the San Diego Padres, but it's my brother's card. 
But we shared a room when we were kids, so I would always look through his album because since he was born in 79, so he had so he had what, four years on me. So he had cards that were older than what I knew. And he had like an 86 tops Don Mattingly, an 86 tops Ozzy Smith, and then had what I think was probably like must have been an 82 Diamond King when Ozzy Smith was still on the Padres because I think he got traded in 82 to the Cardinals. So that would have been his last Padre card. And I just love that card. And going to eBay and finding those old school cards like that just reminds me of like riding my bike and going to the card shop. Um, and I think maybe that's why a lot of those cards are going up in value because, you know, we, uh, one, we were all sort of stuck inside for COVID. But it's just so easy to buy stuff on eBay with just a click of a button. Like, it's so addicting. Well, you know, what's funny is, um, you know, growing up like yourself and like a lot of people probably listening to this podcast, um, I had boxes and boxes of starting lineups and just junk wax cards. And, uh, my dad called me one day and he's like, Frank, you know, you've had your own house for a while now. Um, this stuff's been sitting in my house for more than 20 years. Uh, I put it all in tubs. It's time for you to come get it. (laughs) So, and you know, this was during the, this was during the pandemic, of course. And, uh, so I went to my dad's and I got like three, four tubs and I brought it in. And Leah looks at me and she's like, oh, no. She's like, all those tubs in your dad's garage you're bringing back here? <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, it's cool. Don't even worry about it. It's cool. And she's like, no, no. Like, And she put in my head, she said, listen, because I'm not a big social media person. She was like, you should start an Instagram account and put that stuff on. There. Oh, yeah. So I was like, yeah that's a great idea. So I started posting cards, autographs, baseballs, just cool stuff that I collected when I was a kid. I haven't bought a pack since, you know, 2003 or earlier. And that's when I got into the Instagram community and I started, um, a page wax pack baseball and I would just post pictures of my cards, my autographs and all this stuff. And before I knew it, man, it became such a hobby And it was so rewarding to me because, you know, you get those comments like you say, and I know you got a huge following and that's actually how I found your podcast because I would look up so much stuff from the eighties and nineties on my Instagram account that you kept coming into my feed. So, and that's how I actually found your podcast. And I was like, this is, this is incredible. So I started, you know, posting cards and posting all this baseball stuff that I hadn't looked at in 20 years. But what's so ironic about it is originally my wife told me to start an Instagram page so I could use it to sell my stuff and not have it in the house. (laughs) Joke's on her. (laughs) I'm keeping them all now, baby. (laughs) So it actually created the monster and got me back into the hobby at 41 years old when I hadn't bought when I hadn't bought a, bought a pack or bought anything baseball related in almost 20 years. No. Now, like you said, you know, like I listened to you on this podcast and like we've talked about before, the comments that people make and it gets you excited because it's like a time capsule, you know, and it brings yeah, you back man. to that time. And like, I loved when you were just talking about Ozzy Smith because he was one of the first baseball players that I really liked. Mm-hmm. 
that wasn't on the Yankees because I used to watch This Week in Baseball, and Gosh, you know yeah. the Wizard of Oz was always All in the, the top ten. All the time doing backflips the whole nine. Oh, my God. Remember This Week in Baseball with Mel Allen? Dude, so good, man. The theme song and his voice, like, it's so nostalgic. Like, it takes you back. And, like, the way, like, a lot of those old ball players would, like, call the plays and call the game, it's like they were so energetic. And I'll go to YouTube and I know. Okay, so when the pandemic first hit, um, and I've got it on, like, my DVR because I have YouTube TV, it was like Fox Sports or somebody was playing old episodes of This Week in Baseball. So I've got a bunch saved on my DVR, dude. And I'm watching these things on my flat screen TV while with like my three-month-old daughter. And it was the best, man, because I'm like, dude, I used to watch this on an old console TV when I was a kid. And here I am watching this, and I've got my daughter in my arms. Like, hell yeah, I remember that, dude. And it's so good. And listen, one, isn't it so fun to get back into collecting? Because you can do it. And as long as you're not out buying a bunch of graded cards, which if you want to, go for it. But I bought a 99-cent Topps Jim Abbott number one draft pick off eBay. Uh, like, the bidding only yeah. made it to a buck. I was the only person that bid on it. And I was so excited to get that card because that's one of the cards that I had that was lost to time. But, like, I get it, and it's so fun. And I think – I'm on your Instagram now, so if you want to find Frank's Instagram, it's at Baseball, spelled just like it sounds, Baseball. And, like, the cards that you post, I think, one – it's it's so fun for us to post things because yeah you see the comments and it's like you can sort of make friends through Instagram especially when like um you know the world sort of been shut down because I think community is such a huge thing especially if we get older like it sounds corny but I heard Chris Archer talk about this on a podcast like four years ago where he was like talking about baseball and he talked about love that like love was such a powerful thing and it was just like how about like bringing together people like through the game of baseball. And I think what you're doing on your Instagram does that, right? Because yeah, you can have these conversations with people, but like I can look at cards on your Instagram account. Like right now I'm looking at one. It's a Nolan Ryan or excuse me, Don Mattingly. It's a 1987 Purina card. And some of my favorite cards are the cards that have brands on them. Like I've got a set of like KB toys, um, baseball cards, Toys R Us, Hills, Revco. And like, I love those cards because one, they remind me of the stores I went to when I was a kid, but also like, they just got like this vintage look about them. Like this Don Mattingly card on your page. It's not even a licensed card. Like he doesn't even have the New York on his hat, but it's just so good. So it's like, when I see that picture, like it brings about like this feeling of love, like inside my heart where like, I want to do more for my wife. I want to do more for my daughter. I want to be nice to the people I see at the grocery store and the people that are cruising slow in the left lane of traffic. And so that's why I love this baseball community so much. And literally talking to you right now makes me feel good because I think it just makes people happier and brings people together. And so, yeah, your Instagram, though, is badass, man. And I also think it's very funny that your wife's like, you're not selling these cards now because, yeah, the hobby's in full effect, man. Back at it. Oh, and that's just it, man. And, you know, like like I said, man, I appreciate the shout-out. And, like, but it's been so fun because it's Jesus, like, yeah. like you said, you buy these cards that are less than $5. Like, you know, I love Ricky Henderson growing up. 
you know, when he was traded to the Yankees, I thought it was the coolest oh, thing in the geez, world yeah. because, and and I know you've talked about him before because, you know, the Ricky Henderson triple. Oh, yeah. It, it was one of the most exciting things I've ever seen and ever will see in baseball ever. Yeah, and he doesn't even have to hit the ball with the bat. The guy had such a good eye. 13,300 plate appearances. Played till he was 44 and kept a 401 on base percentage. He was a problem on the base path. Like, and the reason why, like, I'm I love talking about him as one of the greatest players ever is one that thought didn't come from me. It was from the comment section. I wish I knew who it was from, but it was from a comment section on a Ricky Henderson post that I was done where someone was like, "Hey, Ricky's one of the greatest, if not the greatest ever," and nobody talks about it. And I was like. Huh, you know, because you always think of guys like Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Barry Bonds, um, I mean, Ty Cobb, the, you know, just the guys that we know, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, right? But when you look at what Ricky did, you're like, listen, I know, like, if I look what Barry Bonds did, primo steroid era slugger, and if I'm like, hey, find another guy like Barry Bonds, okay, Sammy Sosa to a certain extent, obviously none of these guys are as good as Barry, but if you want me to find a slugger, who can hit 60 or 70 home runs? Okay, Sammy, Mark, Barry, David Ortiz, super clutch, good home run hitter. Like, all of those guys are good. Eric Davis could hit for power. He had speed like Barry Bonds, but didn't play as long, you know? So there are guys out there. And then if you were like, find another player like Ricky Henderson, right? Ricky Henderson could hit 28 home runs and steal like 80 bases. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know that I could find one. Like, I know Eric Davis didn't have the speed. I know Barry Bonds didn't have that sort of speed. And I know Ricky didn't have the power to match Eric or Barry. But if I'm looking for a player that could force his will on a baseball field to where, like in 1982 when he stole 130 bases, that that was a fifth-place team in Oakland that had no pitching and no power hitters. So Ricky wanted to break that record, but it's like he had to because the team didn't have anything else. So Billy Martin was like, all we can do is run. And so Ricky, day in and day out, was like, it's my job to help my team win games. All I need to do is get on base and score runs. And when his career ended... He walked more than any player, and he scored more runs than any player. The walk record since has been passed, but that's what he did, man. And I don't know another guy like him. You know, he was he played baseball like a basketball player. Like, if you look at a guy like well, Russell Westbrook, who, you know, when Kevin Durant got traded, so he's got to go out and get a triple-double every damn game because there's no supporting cast on his team. I'm like, well, Ricky did a lot of that. You know what I mean? Well, that's just it. And, you know, if you think about the game of baseball, like, what is the ultimate goal to score more runs yeah. to beat the other team. And he has more runs scored than anybody in yeah. history. So I think for that reason alone, he has to be in the argument because he scored more runs. <laughs> like, like that's the whole point of the game. And, oh, yeah. and I tell you what, um, when he got traded back to Oakland, I think it was in like 1989. I remember yep. being devastated. Like, I almost like wanted that, to cry because every game I tuned, I tuned in, and you were speaking about announcers before. What was so cool growing up, man, um, you know, I used to watch the Yankees on WPIX, and you had Phil Rizzuto. Holy cow. Phil Rizzuto, like, man. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Listen, I didn't watch those games growing up, and I'm going to let you finish, but 
Phil Rizzuto, if you're listening to this podcast and have not watched a Yankees, what would you say, WPIX, Phil Rizzuto broadcast? Yeah, WPIX, Channel 11. Go to YouTube and find it. Phil Rizzuto calls a game with such passion and excitement, and he's so funny. But, yes, finish your statement. Sorry, Frank. What I was going to say was with Phil Rizzuto, you know, is the old Yankee shortstop, the Hall of Famer. That dude just loved baseball. And Jeez, he did. He just announced the game like a fan. Yeah. And he had that he had that classic saying, man, like thirty times a game, he'd be like, ground ball is short. Holy cow, backhanded yes. in the hole. He spins and throws the first. He got him. So and like good. it was just amazing. Like incredible. Like you you know, and I remember they were honoring Phil Rizzuto. And I don't think I saw it. I don't know if I saw it live. I was too I was too young or mm. if I saw it in a Yankee like rewind or something. But when they honored him, they actually brought a cow out onto the field. Wait, hold on. Say that again. They what? They brought a cow out onto the field. A cow? What for? Holy cow. Like because that, <laughs> that, that was his signature saying. That's you crazy. Know, Holy cow. That is so, you know, they brought a cow out onto the field when they honored him at the stadium. And the cool thing about him was, like, for being such a baseball enthusiast, he wasn't perfect. Like, he would low calls all the time, but you didn't care because his enthusiasm and the excitement in his voice was so great. Like, yeah. sometimes he'd call a home run and a guy would catch the ball in front of the warning track. Yeah, I think I think intention like it's what you said. He called the game with so much excitement. I loaded like last year sometime a clip of Phil Rizzuto calling a Dave Winfield home run. And listen, he calls it like you said with so much passion. He loved the game so much. And I think a lot of what endears us to particular baseball players is just their intentions, right? Like one of my favorite players right now is Shohei Otani because his intentions on the field like, I trust them, man. They're so good. Like, he's not a player that's going to break my heart or let me down. And the way he carries himself on the field is how I want to carry myself when I'm at the grocery store. Like, I just want to be <laughs> nice to people. And as I get older, that's one of the things I value is just being nice. So if Rizzuto, you know, misses a call when you were watching him, you are probably like, well, that's okay because I feel like Phil's my buddy. Like, you know, when you grow up with those voices, like I grew up with like Harry Carey and Hawk Harrelson. Those were two of my absolute favorite baseball voices. And I was a Cubs fan, but not even a White Sox fan. But it's something about like that voice where it's just like, yeah, if he messes up, you're like, I don't care. It's Phil. Like we're buddies, you know? So that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, and that was the thing. Like, even if it was a fly ball and he said it was out of there, the the excitement in the fly ball yeah. was worth the blown call. Jeez, it was, <laughs> like, man, because they dude, bring every call to life. Every play, even oh, if it's an yeah. out. Yeah, and that was it. And, you know, that was one of the cool things about the Yankees in the 80s because, you know, now it's so funny how when errors passed, peop, a lot of people really only know what the present is. So, you know, if you were, I don't know, if you were like 30 or younger, you only remember the Yankees, I guess, maybe from 
96 on oh, yeah. as a powerhouse, amazing team that's in the playoffs every year. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're the New York Yankees. But in the 80s, man, like, I don't think they made the playoffs the entire decade. Nope, they win. What, did they go to the World Series in 81 and lose it to the Dodgers or something? Or some, I think maybe, and then that was it. I'm not sure. I could be wrong and, on that. But, yeah, you're right. And like, the thing, like, if you think about it, and I've heard you talk about Donnie Baseball before, Don Manningly, man, one of my favorite players of all time. Like, I think why Don Manningly is so endeared by Yankee fans is because he kept that Yankee legacy of Yankee greatness alive during some really down time oh, yeah, in the yeah. Yankees franchise. Yep. And, God, like, that post that you did, the, um, I don't know how long ago it was, maybe a week ago, with Don Manningly versus Tom Seaver, I watched that thing like 10 times. <laughs> it's good at bat. Damn good at bat. And, like, Donnie Baseball, you look at him when he steps into the batter's box, he just looks classic, man. He's got the yeah. eye black on. He's got, the, he's got the crouch. You know, he's got the Franklin batting gloves. And I think he's always got the pony cleats. Oh, and yeah, dude. The cool thing, the cool thing about Mattingly, he took the first strike every time. Yeah, you got to get to know the pitcher, man, because with him, if you watch an at-bat, especially that one with um, Seaver, like, it's a battle. Like, he's so intense between every pitch. Like, the low crouch is the best 80-style at-bat. When I go to my ball tournament in September, I'm going full low crouch, man, because those guys were like, <laughs> it was a battle, man. He's got the eye black. It's like war paint. He's rubbing up the pine tar. And, like, he when he would come to the dish, it was intense, man. Intense. Oh, and his at-bats were just legendary. Like, Jeez. he was a guy that saw at least five pitches, man. And what was so cool about him, like, he wasn't big, you know? I think he's only, like, 5'10", 5'11". That sounds about right. You know, right. Not, a ripped, not a ripped dude, but he had some quick wrists, man. Like, he was just able to turn on a ball. And the cool thing about him was he wasn't the fastest runner, but when he hit the ball, his body was like always positioned running toward first yep. by the time the ball mm -hmm. left his bat. Oh, yeah. And uh, listen to this, Quentin. You'll dig this. I actually got a pretty cool Donnie baseball story. Lay it on me. So my dad, um, it was in the early 90s, used to work for um, an attorney for the Yankees. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was always tagging along with my dad and in his pickup and stuff, and I always wore my Yankee uniform everywhere. So uh, the lady said to my dad, so your son's a big Yankee fan, and she must have had some clout in the organization. Um, she got us tickets and told me to wear a Don Mattingly shirt, and he was going to throw me a ball during the game. So... This was unbelievable to me because, you know, um, we went to the game and we were sitting behind the Yankee dugout, like three, four rows behind the dugout. And this was just unbelievable to me to be at the game, see the field and everything. And um, Donnie Baseball actually looked at me. He threw the ball, but he underthrew it. So you know how where dugouts meet in the back, they're concrete, 
and you have the back wall and then you have the roof, but where the roof and the wall meet, there's like that little angled section where, um, basically, yeah, where the roof and where the roof and the wall meet. Yes. So he threw me the ball, but he underthrew it. It hit that little section on the back of the dugout and bounced off man like a rocket it struck my dad in the forehead (laughs) (laughs) Jesus! knocked his sunglasses off they went flying wow the ball bounced off my dad's head went flying like three four rows back and you know how how when a ball goes into the stands like Someone could be like your great aunt, but you're going to push her over to get that. A hundred percent. You're going down. Dude, a melee breaks out. The ball's like, like three rows behind us on the ground. And I'm, I'm not a tall guy. I'm about five, seven. And, uh, you know, so I'm a little kid. I'm like 11, 12 years old. So all these people go, go scrambling, diving, pushing for the ball. I had the advantage because I was so low to the ground. I dived down. The low crouch, man. It's a winner. Yes, man. I dived (laughs) down. I skin both my knees. Oh, yeah. I I fall onto the ball like it's a fumble in the NFL. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I'm just laying on the ground hoping that, like, nobody steps on me. And uh, so I'm, I'm covered up, and I'm like, all right, it's safe, you know? And I come up. And I hold up the ball, man, like it's the holy grail. And yes. I just stand there and hold it. And Donnie Baseball takes his glove and points it to me. That's what's up, man. Nine-time gold glover, Donnie Baseball. Missed through the ball like, to you, but then you recovered it, man. And then he points at you. I get the mustache flowing, the mullet flowing. Dude, that's fun. That's an awesome story. And it's so funny because that's the way home. Hit your dad in the My face. <laughs> My dad's like, you know, I'm glad you got the ball, son, but it broke my sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you got the ball, man. You went into, like, full bear mode. Like, get out of my way, man. Dude, hell well, yeah. And, and the funny thing is, though, Quentin, like, I knew it was on as soon as the ball hit my dad's head. Like, I was like, all right, it hit his head. But now, like... Now it's like the action ensues. Like now yeah. it's me versus eight other people for this ball. Hell like yeah. there's no way in hell that they're getting this ball and not Fucking Thunderdome, man. This is everything that you prepared for as a kid. All those grounders you <laughs> took, everything you did, this was the moment. It's like some American gladiator great, stuff, man. It's great. And the great thing about it is like I didn't care that I had cut up knees. You know, my dad didn't care that he broke his best pair of sunglasses. <laughs> like, like we got a ball and Donnie Baseball pointed to me. Dude, what a stud, man. What a good dude. Don, you know, Don Mattingly is the only baseball player I've ever met in real life because he, he's from Evansville, really? Indiana. And where I'm from in Illinois is only an hour and 15 minutes where he was from. So he was in Marion at Ray Fossey Park where I played Little League ball. And his son must have been a few years older than me because they were playing on the pony field and I was in Mustang. So I had a Yankees hat growing up because who didn't have a Yankees fitted hat growing up? It didn't matter where you were from. So I walked up to him and was like, Mr. Mattingly, can you sign this hat? And he signed it for me and was like, have a good day. And that was it. But I was like, 
as I got older, I was like, I sort of feel like a dick because this guy was probably trying to watch his kid play ball and who knows how many people walked up to him. But, like, that's the only ball player I've ever met. I thought he was just sort of a nice guy. Like, he just signed it and was watching his son play ball in southern Illinois. And that's the only ball player I've ever met in real life was Don Mattingly. That's so cool, you know. And, and he must be a really nice guy because I um I follow his charity, Mount Mattingly Charities, on Instagram. Okay. And uh, they do a lot, of, a lot of cool stuff for underprivileged kids in uh, Indiana. And... It may or may not be the ball field you're talking about, but um, I'm pretty sure on that site there's like a big stone monument of him at some little league ball fields in Indiana, yeah. um, in yeah. in Evansville. So that's the one with the with the um, with the monument in honor of him. No, the, well, the one he was at was in Illinois, so. Because I okay. guess his son was playing like in a travel tournament, but I mean it, it's probably oh, okay. within an hour and fifteen from where I'm from. Because Evansville's like sort of a big town, but it's not super big. But it's all sort of like in that Southern Illinois, Southeast Missouri, Western Kentucky, like little bubble or whatever. Because where he's from in Indiana, that's still pretty far south. Um, but I, and he's got to be a great guy. Like I know when the Marlins went under new ownership and they decided to keep him. Like I was really happy for him because I was like, oh, I've met that guy before. And I feel like a lot of like old gritty coaches like that sometimes don't get a fair play in the game anymore. So when they kept him, I was like, that's good. Like that makes me sort of want to watch Marlins baseball because I like Don Mattingly. And he just sort of seems like, you know, I mean, he doesn't seem like it. I mean, he's one of those just old school grinders who knows the game and, you know, he's still out there fighting for his team. And I think that's a great thing. You know, it's such a sad deal that his career ended so young younger than what he should have because he was just so good man like every at bat was a battle like you said he's taking pitches I mean this is a guy that hit I mean he's six feet 175 is what he was listed at so not a big guy but I mean 31 home runs I mean he didn't strike out a lot like in 86 he had 31 home runs with 53 walks and only struck out 35 times like he was a contact guy not afraid to get down to two strikes like he was just up there to hit man and geez. oh, you know one of my favorite calls ever. Um, Ninety-five, the Yankees finally made it to the playoffs in the wild card. Um, they had a hot finish, and they had that um, classic ninety-five series. I think it was a five-game first. Yeah, it was the first wild card um, in ninety-five, and the Yankees had a hot finish, and. Uh, they pulled out the wild card and they played the Mariners and it was game three um, or maybe not game three, whatever it was, but Mattingly hit the go ahead home run at Yankee stadium. And I still remember Gary called Thorne's call like, Oh, hold on to the roof. Mattingly. <laughs> and like, I remember just jumping off the couch and going nuts. And I was just like, watch this dude, like Donnie baseball. And, and you could see that season, like, cause that dude, used to jack home runs. He had the grand slam record. He had the record for most consecutive games with a homer. Like he you know, he, the ball just jumped off his bat, but that 95 season, you could see that the back injury had basically drained his power. Yeah. His power. And then like those, yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're right. It did drain his power. He was single digit home runs for the last two years he played. And you're right about him holding it down because it from 82 to 94, that's when the Yankees never made it to the postseason. And, I mean, he held the team together, man. Like, he 
to me, he, he sort of reminds me of like the hitting version of Sandy Koufax. Like he doesn't have a lot of the counting stats that would get you in the Hall of Fame, but you've got a span of like eight or nine. So- well, maybe not even eight or nine solid years. Gosh, I guess it's really only like five years. Um, and I don't know what how long Sandy Koufax streak was. I think it was definitely longer than five years where he was just like the best pitcher on the planet and maybe ever. But Don Baseball, Donnie Baseball from 84 to 89 was just a freak. High batting averages, high sluggings, won an MVP, runner-up the next year. You know, and there's a lot of – if you ever mention Don Mattingly, a lot of people are like, yo, he should be in the Hall of Fame, this and that and the other. And, you know, when you talk about, like, you know, the Yankees, you know, everybody knows the Yankees is like, you know, if you're around 30 or whatever, like those teams that won – well, they win three Worlds, 96, 98, four World Series in five years – but, like, it wasn't like that. From 82 to 94, like, you know, Mattingly was doing his best to hold him together. And, you know, he may not have those Hall of Fame numbers at the end of his career, but, I mean, he made his mark. And he was, a, I mean, a very important player and one of the best ball players of the 80s. And that's the thing. Like, oh, I think just as much as the Yankees losing that series to the Mariners, because they had a damn good team, man. They still had Paul O'Neill. They had Bernie yeah. Williams, like – that's when the Yankees like really like were coming into their own as a powerhouse. Yep. And I think if they would have got past the Mariners, they had a good shot to win the whole thing. And it was like, yeah. you know, the hitman just rose to the occasion for that whole series. I think he hit like close to 400. He oh. had two home runs, like six RBIs. And like, you know, it, it, his career was was, you know, obviously at the end. But when it got to the playoffs, he was the old Donnie baseball ripping home runs, smacking balls into the gap. And that's why, man, when they lost that game um, in extra innings, the final game, um, it was just crushing. I was like, because I, like I said, as a Yankee fan, I, I think it bothered me more that he didn't, it was his last game. And watching him growing up, knowing that it was his last game was a little crushing. Dude, he hit 417 in that postseason, in that ALDS, as a as a beat-up 34-year-old with a bad back that didn't have much left in the tank. Listen, there are guys like really good ballplayers like Barry Bonds who, besides like the 2000 postseason, couldn't put it together in any other postseason he had played in because it's just when you're a really good player – you expect yourself to do good, so you put a lot of pressure on yourself. You, at least that's how I feel in my softball league, you know, when I go 0 for 5. And, like, Donnie Baseball, at the age of 34, batting 417, like, I'm like, what if he had make like made, like, four or five postseason appearances? Like, we would be talking about, you know, like, some of, like, the most clutch hitting performances. Like, you think of guys like you know, Kurt Schilling and David Ortiz, like those are the first, those are like, and Madison Bumgarner, right? Those are the guys that come to mind real quick recently who were just absolute monsters in the postseason that could put it together or like Kurt Gibson or, you know, even Ricky Henderson, he was really good in the postseason too. But like Don Mattingly, like he seemed like he would have handled the pressure really good to where maybe, you know, Derek Jeter was given the moniker Mr. November. And I mean, Don Mattingly may have been given that if he had the chance first because his, uh, I mean, just a clutch, clutch ball player. Well, you know, if you had to name three players that you think 
should get strong consideration for the hall that are like, you know, who's three guys that aren't in the hall that time has passed that you think should be in the hall? Oh, this is a tricky one because I feel like... I'll give you one that I think we can both agree on because you've had some killer Cobra Dave Parker posts and I think Dave Parker's one of them. But I, I, yeah, I like Dave Parker and Dick Allen are sort of my cliche post because, and like Keith Hernandez is in that mix too. And like all those, well, Keith and Dave are obviously from the same era. And I think like the cocaine gets them in trouble a little bit, (laughs) (laughs) but like also like Dave let himself get out of shape a little bit, this, that, and the other, but I've always enjoyed doing my best to like look and analyze players beyond like wins above replacement and all of the counting stats and stuff like that. And like Dave Parker was a guy, he was like one of the first guys in pro ball to like wear an earring. You know what I mean? Like he, a lot of people called him the Muhammad Ali of baseball. Like he brought such swagger to the game. He was, I mean, batting title MVP, that 79 Pittsburgh Pirates team was an absolutely legendary team. And when you talk about, guys getting in the Hall of Fame, like so much of it is on like your counting stats, 500 home runs, or now it's wins above replacement, right? Like, oh, Don Mattingly only was worth 42 wins. Like that's not going to get him in the Hall of Fame. Andrew Jones has a higher war. And like when I look at players, I'm like, I don't know if I care about that just as much as like, what did they do for the game? And you know, what was the impact they had on their team? And what was the impact they had on their city, right? One of the guys I would say – Outside of the cliches that I just gave you, my one guy, if I could vote him in the Hall of Fame, would be Dan Quisenberry. Okay, I know that you're a big be quiz fan. My guy. Like, I still believe, like, like, Dick Allen, Dave Parker, Keith Hernandez, like, I like those guys for the Hall, hands down. Uh, there's probably somebody else I'm for sure getting, but when I, like, dug into, like, what Dan Quisenberry really did for the team, the city, his ability as a closer to shut down people with a repertoire of pitches that has like you just wouldn't expect. Like he threw a knuckle sidearm, he threw a sidearm knuckleball that moved like no other pitch you could ever imagine in your life. And like on top of that, like he was just a sweetheart of a guy. And there's like when people talk about Pete Rose or Ty Cobb, they're like, listen, Pete Rose is a dick. I don't want to vote him in the Hall of Fame. And Ty Cobb's in the Hall of Fame, but he was a huge asshole. So, like, screw that guy. But I don't think that people talk enough about, well, if you, everybody's quick to point out the bad guys that shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Like, Kurt Schilling's a dick. I don't want him in the Hall of Fame. You know, all that stuff. But do you talk enough about the guys that are really good for the game, that love the game? And Dan Quisenberry wrote poetry he one time he was in the grocery store and this kid walks up to him and says, Mr. Quisenberry, can I have your autograph? Dan goes, sure. And then Dan asked the kid, he goes, hey, do you have your glove on you? And, you know, when you're a kid in the 80s, you always have your baseball glove on you. So the kid goes, yeah, I have my glove. And Dan's like, let's go out and play catch. So he's playing catch with this random kid in the parking lot of like a Kmart or uh, who knows, like, what kind of grocery store they're at, and they're just playing catch in a grocery store parking lot. And I'm like, Dan Quisenberry is a guy that worked with love in his life, on the field, off the field, the whole nine. 
but he was a really good pitcher. Like um, Bruce Suter is in the Hall of Fame, and Dan Quisenberry was a better pitcher, I believe, at least as good as Bruce Suter, if not better. But one's in and one's out, you know? There's so many guys, even if you want to play the advanced data numbers, like um, ERA Plus and stuff like that, like, he's very worthy to be in the Hall of Fame. So it's twofold with him, man. So Dan Quisenberry would for sure be my one guy. If I think of two other under-the-radar dudes, I'll let you know. But um, yeah. who do you have besides Dave Parker? Like, do you have three that you would that you like? You know, three we could probably talk for an hour. But the one guy that I wholeheartedly believe should be in there is Thurman Monson. Yeah, I, and I think, I just, yeah. I, I just think so because, I mean, obviously his career was cut, was cut tragically short with that plane crash. But, again, when you look at things that aren't on paper and the intangibles and what leadership brings, I mean, first of all, he was known as the commander of the Yankee pitching staff. I mean, that guy. And also, I mean, he was on those 70s teams that won two World Series when – they were known as like a wild group. Like he was kind of the guy. I mean, you know, you had Reggie Jackson, George Steinbrenner was there firing and hiring people like, like he was eating eggs in the morning. Um, you know, and, and I think Munson was like the steady hand that brought stability to that clubhouse. But not only that, um, he was clutch. Like you say, I mean, I don't know his postseason numbers off the top of my head, but, his postseason numbers are sick. Like he's somewhere between three fifty and four hundred. He's three fifty seven. Three fifty seven. Insane. Yeah. One gold gloves. Um, you know, with an MVP as a catcher, hit for average, hit for power, was clutch. And uh I think he had like ten, eleven great years, won two World Series, and you know, in my opinion, the leadership thing. Um holding down that crazy Yankee team in the 70s and, and, and early 80s, I, th- I think his career went from, like, what, you, um, what were the years? Was it I have like it in front 70? of me. I couldn't agree okay. with what you're saying more about him. Uh, 69, he played 26 games in 69. His rookie season officially was in 1970. So he played in 1970, and then he passed away in 79. So in 79, he only played in 97 games. So he had full seasons, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine full seasons for what he played. What's his career batting average? He's at, I mean, you described it perfectly, 292 batting average, 346 on base. Uh, the guy could hit, man. Had multiple seasons of over 300 home runs. When I said a second ago that I thought Don Mattingly was like the hitter version of Sandy Koufax, no, it's Thurman Munson. You look at his stats. I mean, for the advanced data people, he put up 46 wins above replacements in an abbreviated wins above replacement in an abbreviated career. And listen, I've read a little bit. Of, I don't know a ton about Thurman Munson, but one of the things that I love about Thurman Munson the most and I mean this in the most respectful way possible because I know he passed away in like an airplane accident and I'm not trying to make light of that or turn it into anything that sounds cool. But when he got his airplane license, it was so he could see his family because it would get, I, I read it on like his, um, 
his Saber Bio Project page, which you can get to through like his baseball reference page. And when he was getting his pilot's license, that's why he wanted to do it because he had a family. And on off days, he wanted to be able to get to him quick. So that's what he did. And when you talk about the leadership of Thurman Munson, you're 100% right. And he had the money and could have just like paid a pilot to fly him. But who he was in his nature, he did stuff himself. Like that was the man he was. He was like our dads growing up. You know, he did stuff himself. He was a hard worker. He was a great leader. And so he was like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, get my own license and I'm going to do this myself. And I don't remember if that's how the plane crashed. Like, I don't remember if it was his fault or what it was, but I admire him as a person through what little I know of Thurman Munson through that one event, because it showed me that he was a hard worker and he wanted to do things himself because I think there's a lot of beauty in the individual agency of a person, you know, not paying somebody to do what you can do yourself, you know, like just getting your hands dirty and owning it because I think it makes us better people. And that's what Thurman Munson was. And all he wanted to do was work hard and see his family. And it was sort of like that sort of like led to his passing away because it was in a plane crash. And like, I've always just admired that about him. And I agree with you a hundred percent like this, this, you know, this is going to be one of my answers. If anyone ever asked me this question again, Dan Quisenberry and Thurman, Thurman Munson are going to be two of my guys. Yeah. I mean, Thurman Munson, I think is just going to always go down in baseball history as, you know, one of the greatest players of the seventies. And, uh, you know, I think what's interesting with the hall of fame is because, the writers really, really have the authority of who gets elected and who doesn't. And, you know, I mean, I don't know any of the writers personally that vote for the Hall of Fame, but they're just people with opinions like everybody else. So, you know, for for whatever reason, some guys that are on the border make it in and some don't. But just like anything else, I think it's really purely opinion. Yeah, it's, I mean, you're right. Like, there's a lot, I don't know how I feel about the writers voting people, and it's for sure a lot of opinion, because I always look at a guy like Kurt Schilling, and he doesn't get in because of the things that he does post-baseball, and I think Barry Bonds is sort of the same way, because there's steroid-era guys that are in there. Like, Pudge Rodriguez took steroids. He's in the Hall of Fame. Mike Piazza probably did, like he's sort of in there. But Barry Bonds shit on I won't use Barry Bonds as the example because he broke all the hallowed records with steroids, but like Kurt Schilling to me is sort of a good one because I think he's not getting in the Hall of Fame because of people's opinions. Um, but maybe that's not even a good one either. But well, it, what's it's a interesting tricky about situation. It, well, what's interesting about it though too is like you know, in the 80s and 90s, there's so many players that, that took steroids. And I think that Major League Baseball, even itself, decides who to crucify and who not. And, like, Alex Rodriguez, for an ex- as example, um, the guy cheated. He did wrong. I mean, honestly, as a Yankee fan, um, 
I know there's a lot of different opinions about A-Rod, but the year when they won the World Series, I think it was 2009, um, he had one of the best seasons I've ever seen any baseball player have in my lifetime. Like, he he was incredible. But the thing is, with A-Rod, he paid a tremendous price for cheating. I mean, I think he was the only player ever suspended an entire season for for steroids. Oh, he was the first and, for sure, yeah. And um, the Mitchell Report. Like, how many hundreds of names were there in the Mitchell Report? But for whatever reason, Major League Baseball really chose to go after him. So it's like there's guys that are crucified, but then there are other guys that kind of, I don't want to say get a free pass, they're just not brought up, well, they or they're just not scrutinized. Yeah. Well, what screwed A-Rod over is he failed an actual test, and, like, that's what messed him up. Because I think – I don't think his year suspension was just for – and I could be wrong, but I think he failed a test, and that's what got him the full year suspension. Where, like, when Rafael Palmeiro failed the test, the union and the league hadn't agreed on anything, so he only got a 10-game suspension. Um but what else was I going to say? But then oh. you look at guys like, but then you look at guys like David Ortiz. He, like, he's going to get a free pass. Listen, David Ortiz and Sammy Sosa showed yeah. up on the same leaked report, on the exact same leaked report. So we have just as much evidence that Sammy Sosa took steroids as we do David Ortiz. David Ortiz will undoubtedly be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but Sammy and, and, and well, is, is a scumbag. But and the thing that's interesting too about Sosa as opposed to Ortiz is like. Sammy Sosa was always a talented player from day one in the big leagues. Like that dude was always a stud. Um, David Ortiz, it's like, well, like, okay, he's not talked about a lot with the whole steroid thing, but like, what do you think? He all of a sudden became a stud at 28 by eating fruits and vegetables. Like, come on, why don't we talk about this guy? But we, but we, like you said, um, major league baseball and media is going to cross, like you said, crucify Sosa, but Ortiz will probably get in first ballot. So I think it's I think it's kind of like I don't know. It's a little odd to me how some guys are crucified and some guys get a pass. It's the guys that broke the records that for sure get shit on the most. Like Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, right? Those are the guys that can go to hell because they hit they broke the home run. Re- I mean, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that like on behalf of the writers. I like them all. Well, I like them all for the Hall of Fame. I think um, Sammy Sosa is the only one that I'm iffy on, but he did a lot for baseball. Did a ton for Chicago, and is the only guy to hit 60 home runs for three different seasons. Right. The thing about steroids is like with like you talk about like David Ortiz getting really good at 27 and 28, and Sammy Sosa's career, like, he became, like, Sammy Sosa always had good speed and I think was always regarded as a higher prospect than what David Ortiz was at a young age. But Sammy Sosa sort of had, like, an upward trajectory that was a little nutty. Like, when he hit, the year before he hit 66 home runs in 98, like, I think he hit 40 home runs once, and then that was sort of about it. And... I think a lot of the writers, you know, they crap on the guys that took steroids because they think that steroids sort of did it all. Like, I've heard people say about Sammy Sosa and Jose Canseco because they're looked at as sort of like the really good guys that took steroids, but they're like the worst of the really good guys that took steroids. 
So people always talk about those two guys as like steroids made their career. Steroids made Sammy Sosa his career and Jose Canseco, and those guys wouldn't be anything without steroids. But I don't know if I agree with that because when guys get like in their late 20s, you know, they sort of like learn to hit a little bit. Like Sammy Sosa developed a toe tap that helped him to wait on the ball some. And I think steroids help a guy out because when you're playing 162 games, that's going to take a toll on your body. And I always used to think that when players said that, that it was such a cop-out. But I think it's sort of true because there are multiple seasons where, like, Griffey Jr. has had, like, over 30 home runs at the All-Star break but only makes it to 56, right? And that's because August is hot, you know, and you just get tired as a human being. Because 162 games is just, it's it's crazy. But then guys that sort of hit the sauce, when August comes around, it feels like April to him, man. So they're just sort of doing it. So if guys, I don't have a problem if a guy that took steroids gets into the Hall of Fame, I don't think, because I think everybody in the era did it. But then again, that double-edged sword is like, well, if everybody cheats, like, that doesn't make it right. Like, you can't just... You know, be like, hey, all of you guys cheated, but, like, we'll reward you for it or whatever. So it's just a double-edged sword. It is. And you know what's so interesting? Like, um, you know, you talk about steroids and and this, some of the first people that jump out in people's minds. Uh, it was about two years ago. Um, you know, I'm working late one night, and uh, my wife used to tell me, like, you know, if you're going to be home, you know, don't come. She used to tell me, like, if you're going to be working past eight, like, don't come home till nine. Because if you come home and you walk in the door, I spend all this time getting Katie to bed. A hundred percent. I know, you know that. <laughs> yeah. like She, she gets hyped because she door. sees you. Yeah. Yeah, daddy's home. She hears you walk in the door. You always walk in. You're excited to see us. Every, you know, everything comes alive. And then it's like all that work that I put in to winding her down and getting her to sleep. And now I know she's going to be up again. Hey, listen to this. So, At the um, risk of derailing this conversation, isn't that the best feeling? Coming home to your daughter and she freaks out and it's like runs oh. to you and hugs you. Like, dude, I can't get over it. It's amazing, man. Like it's the it's the greatest thing in the world. So, and and the thing is, like you said, you want it's just love, man. That's all I could say. It's just pure love. And uh, so one night, um, I'm coming home late from work, and I stop at the bar a few blocks from my house to get some chicken wings. Okay, I and thought you were going to say I'm, you were drinking again. I'm saying if you need help, man, I know someone. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, man. No, nah, you know what? I mean, I used to drink like like a lot of people when I was younger, but the thing oh, is yeah. I can't drink during the week, Jesus, man. I can't either, I get up, man. You know, it's like, it's like if I, my, my night is Friday night. It's like the week is done. You know, I got I got a few friends in the neighborhood that we get together and drink beers and light a fire and hang out. That's the and, best, uh, dude. That's, that's good times. Yeah, that's like my big Friday night. You know, I got four or five friends in the neighborhood and like, you know, you kind of celebrate the um, the weekdays being over. And oh, once my daughter goes to bed and my wife, you know, goes and watches her Lifetime movies that I have no interest in, <laughs> it's like, all right. 
I'm going to go hang out with the boys for Hell a yeah, while man. and have some beers. Dude, light that fire pit, just sit around it. Like, dude, that's like, those are the times that I like the most, man. Like, you know, when you were talking about the, um, you know, going to the baseball game with your daughter at Double Day Field, like, that's why I think, like, so many of the best moments happen outside, you know, just sitting around, drinking a beer. Like, that's it, man. But anyway, I'm going to derail this thing even further. Keep going with your story. So I'm sitting there, and I'm eating some chicken wings, and I look up, and who's across the bar, man? Lenny Dykstra. Jesus Christ, Lenny. Nails, man. What a wild dude. So you got to tell me. And, you talk to him, right? Yeah, so he's sitting there, and um, he's between two people, um, you know, a man and a woman, probably both in their 60s. So I'm not one of those, you know, loud people oh my god so um i sit there and i finish my wings and you know i'm watching i'm watching tv and i pay my tab and as i'm leaving i walk up and i tap him on the shoulder and i said hey you know money i just want to tell you big new york sports fan thanks for providing me and my friends and uh family a lot of memories over the years a lot of fun watching you play so i turn around to walk out the door and listen i know the guy obviously has a history but um he goes, hey, guy, he's like, you just said something beautiful, and then you turn turn around and walk away. What the hell is that? Come here. So I walk over to him, and we start talking, and, um, you know, automatically I, you know, I'm such a baseball enthusiast, I start talking baseball with him. So, um, you know, I sit down next to him, and we just strike up a conversation, and I tell you what, like, Again, I know the guy has a history, but meeting him in person and he, he gave me time and was very genuine. And I actually have a, a picture posted of it on my Instagram, um, you know, because he was just so cool, Quentin. Like it was like it was like if if I saw you in a bar and was like, "Yo, you're your greatest show on dirt." Same thing. And um, so we're talking, and I say to him, "I'm like, you know, you got to play behind Doc in the mid '80s, and." you know, what was that like? Like you had the best seat in the house in center field and left field watching doc in his prime. And he was like, let me tell you, it was like traveling with a rock star. He's like, we had stars on the team. You know, everybody knows we had Keith Hernandez. We had Dallas Strawberry, but he said, for those, you know, 85, 86 season, like, it was like traveling with a rock star. Everybody wanted to see Gooden. So I was like, you know, I'm a Yankee fan. Like, I'll never forget that no-hitter he threw when he came back to the Yankees. Like, it was unbelievable. Oh, and he's geez, like, yeah. And he's like, so you're a fan of Doc. Dude calls him on his cell phone. Friggin' Dwight Gooden picks up second ring. <laughs> and, he's, and he's like, he's like, hey, Doc. He's like, listen, I'm here with the fan. You want to say hello? So he puts him on speaker. He's like, hey, what's up? I'm like, listen, Doc Gooden, man. I'm like, this is surreal. I'm hit, sitting here at the sports bar, hanging out with Lenny Dykstra, talking to the Doc Gooden. I'm like, I don't want to take up a lot of your time, man. I just want to tell you, big New York sports fan, thank you for all the memories you brought my friend, friends and family. And I still remember you no-hitter with the Yankees like it was yesterday. It's like, it's an honor and a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for the time. And he was like, it's all good, man. It's always fun to talk to a fan and relive the memories. And that was that. And, like, it was so cool talking to Dykstra because he's like the Charlie Sheen of baseball, you know? Like, 
all his laundry has been out there. So he's got nothing to hide. And um, one cool thing that he, that he said, because I asked him, I said, you know, you grew up a baseball life, like your whole life in high school, you were a stud, you minor leagues, you know, play, you know, went to two world series, all-star teams. I'm like, you got to see some of the best baseball players in the world for, you know, a 15, 20 year stretch. I'm like, who impressed you the most that you ever shared a field with? And he, and he said, Ricky Henderson. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world because he was like, you know, I was in shape. Like, you know, I was a Greek guy, but he said, you know, I took steroids. I, I had a little bit of help. I was always an in shape guy, but he's like, I took steroids. So I had help get there. He's like, the thing about Ricky, he said, is that dude was cut muscle on top of muscle. And, you know, you can't really see it in the uniform. He said, but like that guy was like, like just a human specimen, the way he was built. And what was so impressive about it to me was how he can move his body so nimble and so quick with all that power and all that muscle stacked on top of muscle. Dude, if you look at pictures of Ricky, like if he's holding his arms up in the air or like you can see his forearms, you can tell that there's something under there, man. And even like as he got, as he's getting older, like 50s and stuff, I don't know how old he is now. He's probably in his 60s now, but there were even like, Photos of him, like, in the 50s that you'll see, like, he would come back to the park, like, throw out first pitch or whatever. The guy still looked like he could play, just in phenomenal shape. And I think he's one of those guys, like, like he could have probably done anything he wanted to do and damn near could have been a Hall of Famer. Like, they said he was phenomenal at football. Like, his his senior year of high school, it was him, um, Dave Henderson and Ronnie Lott, who were like three of the top football prospects in the whole entire country. I think Ricky was a running back, and he was just a freak of an athlete. Like, he could have probably played anything and maybe been a Hall of Famer. And he could have been a bodybuilder and looked like Arnold if he wanted to. Like, I mean, I think he's just – I'm not surprised that Lenny said that because that's what, like, I was talking to you about, like – and you mentioned in like if Ricky could be the you know the best baseball player ever, and I'm like, geez, he's got to be in the conversation because of all those reasons. Well, and and what's interesting too, like why I think baseball players are some of the greatest athletes on the planet. It might not be the sport where you have to be agile every second, like a hockey player or a football player, but you know, in talking to a guy that had a really good career and was a stud of a player. And basically said, you know, one of the reasons he took steroids was because his body broke down. As the season got on, um, the back got heavier and heavier. Once you got into August, all those games take a toll on the human body. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because, like, I read his book also, like, after meeting him, I just wanted to, like, read his book and find out a little bit more about him. And in his book, he constantly bashes Davey Johnson because he always says how, when he was with the Mets, he felt like he was a better player than the platoon player that Davey Johnson made him with Mookie Wilson. So he used to always talk shit to Davey Johnson and him and, and, and Dykstra would go back and forth and like almost brawl if he wasn't in the lineup. 
So then he said when he got to Philly and he was, he was the guy in center and he was playing every day, he was like, oh, shit. Maybe Davey was right. <laughs> oh, and so, you know, that's kind of when the steroids came into play and he's going into a big contract year. So the way he explains it, like to put it into human terms, like, okay, this is my life. This is what I know. And I'm not condoning anybody that takes steroids. I'm just saying to look at it from the other side. Um, you know, that's your life. That's what you know. That's what you've been groomed and bred to do. And then all of a sudden at like 26 years old, there's another guy breathing down your neck to take your spot. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to go get a regular job. And he said, you know, I took the steroids and I got a multi-million, um, multi-year contract and people can talk shit and people can say what they want and, and, and judge me. But the thing is, most people would do it too. What do you do after your whole life? You're going to go to work in a regular job. So, Again, I'm not condoning it, but I'm just saying from that perspective, I could just see where players' heads are at. Because I think it was so rampant as well in the 80s and 90s that nobody knew who was doing it and who wasn't doing it. Yeah, and okay, first of all, I really like what you said. There is a documentary from like the early 2000s called Bigger, Faster, Stronger. Or bigger, stronger, faster. I don't. It, what the hell's the name of that document? I don't. Yeah, bigger, stronger, faster is the name of the documentary. It's from 08. This dude named Chris Bell made it, and he basically explores the use of steroids in American culture. Um, athletes, normal people like you and me, going to the gym taking steroids, like all of this stuff, right? And he talks to this guy who's like an Olympic coach, and he said exactly what you said. Right. Think about it from the other angle. Right. If you could take steroids and get paid millions of dollars and have this job and feed your family and feed generations of your family, would you do it? And I think what sure. Lenny said was saying, I think most people would. And so much of demonizing these guys like Barry and Lenny and whoever else that took steroids is like, Fans forget that those are just normal people, you know? Like, my wife likes to have conversations with me where she'll be like, listen, for a million dollars, would you spend the year in Cook County Jail, right? Minimum, you wouldn't be, like, in 24-hour lockdown. Like, you could get shanked any day. Would you do that, right? So we always play games like that. Like, what would you do for a million dollars? <laughs> would you stay in Cook County for $250,000? Because you got a daughter now, right? You could send her to school once she gets old enough. So we always play games like that. So if she was like, would you take steroids to become a major league professional baseball player? I'd be like, well, duh, like, of course I would, right? And that's why, like, I, I'm not the guy that gets riled up about guys taking steroids to be like, hey, he cheated. You suck. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not that guy. Like, I saw a clip on Instagram today where this kid called over Alex Bregman to ask for a photo. Then when Alex walked over, he goes, you're a cheater. I don't want a photo with you. Go bang on a trash can. And it was like a 17-year-old kid that said that. And I was like, you entitled motherfucker. I was like, you got to be kidding me, man. And people are, fans are so hard on the Astros for whatever they cheated on and Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire for taking steroids. And like people forget that baseball's just always had a history of cheating. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. Like they say that in NASCAR, but it sort of fits in baseball. Like this whole sticky ball, spider tack, 
Garrett Cole spin rates dropping, like what pitchers are cheating right now. And it's sort of like baseball's just been about pushing boundaries and steroids in baseball were just the next thing to take because before that you had guys doing coke, which if you did coke between innings like Tim Raines or whatever, you're going to come out pretty hype right on the base path. <laughs> and then before that, didn't had, they say he kept a vial in his back hell pocket? Yeah, he did. That's, that's why he always dude, went head first. That's exactly why. Cause he said he would go to the tunnel and use it. And then, but before all the coke, like you had all the, all the baseball players like Ted Williams, they're coming back from world war two and they're slamming amphetamines because they took them to like, you know, battle so they could stay awake. Like Willie Mays was that dude who had like just the best greenies you could get. Like they would hype you up. And it's sort of like, if that's the culture in the game. And guys are taking greenies, right? So you've already got a culture of everybody's trying to find whatever edge they can. And it's like guys in the 60s may take greenies, then 70s, 80s, greenies, little bit of coke, 90s getting steroids because we're all cheating. This is part of the game. And it's like that with the spider tack, right? You got guys using pine tar and rosin. You know, the Negro brothers are scuffing baseballs and stuff like that. And like this is just the next thing. And so... I have a hard time calling the guys real cheaters because you're in a sport to where it's all about pushing the boundaries of what you can get away with. I mean, because the nature of the sport is pitchers started throwing curveballs and stuff so they could dupe the hitters because when the first pitcher discovered how to throw the curveball, they made it illegal because they were like, you're trying to fool the batter. You can't do that. And then they finally made it a part of the game. So that's what baseball's about. Is pushing boundaries, trying to find the signs, trying to get the edge. Oh, amphetamines might kill me? Well, I got a buddy that takes steroids, and I want to get big for the summer. Like, let's do this thing. And so when you you bring up a really good point and something that I like and something that rarely gets said is to put, you know, put yourself in the other person's shoes and say, well, what would you do just on a human level because – Baseball players get heckled, they get yelled at, and sometimes like they get treated like non-human beings, like the Alex Bregman story I just told. But like people forget, like those are just human beings, and we all do a lot of bad stuff, you know. And I don't think because those guys took steroids or because Alex Bregman and the Astros banged on trash cans that they've just got to be the scum of the earth, you know. But in this hyper media society we live in like Lenny Dykstra is known as basically a scumbag which I think is sort of unfortunate because I don't know him personally and so maybe I can't say that he's not a scumbag but in that same hand I can't say that he is you know I know what the media runs with and I know what gets clickbait but you telling me about this conversation you had with Lenny he seems like a nice guy and I bet he's not just the things you read in the media, you know, which sort of sucks. Well, you know, what's interesting and you're going to kick out of this. Um, Chris, my wife knew where I was. And so now I'm there going on over two hours and, uh, she tends, sends me a text message. She's like, what are you doing? You're five minutes from home. Um, like what's going on? So I send her a text message um, of a picture of me and Dykstra. And I'm like, I'm at the bar with Lenny fucking Dykstra. And, uh, she doesn't know, you know, about Lenny Dykstra. So she must've Googled him. And, um, she texts me back within two minutes. 
whatever you do, don't go to another bar with him. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's trouble because that's all that's on the internet. Like if you – But to your point, yeah. Yeah, dude. Like if you – Malcolm Gladwell wrote it in a book, and I don't remember which one it was. But like if your body – like if something negative happens to you versus something positive that happens to you, like if, if – we're recording this podcast right now. And if one person tells us, hey, you guys did really good, like we'd feel pretty good about that. But if somebody told us that we did really bad and we suck and we should never do it again, we would probably feel way worse than whatever that good feeling was. And there's something about just bad negative information that I think makes people tick on the inside. And it's just like hella clickbait. You know, so it sucks for a guy well, like Lenny, who's also a human being, because if we ever get famous enough to where people can start to write shit about us, they could write something good about us. Like, oh, Quentin and Frank are good guys. They talk baseball for two hours in June. But then if like one of us goes to a bar and like gets arrested for drunk in public and I pee off a building and we steal a cop car, <laughs> right? Like that's way better news because it's negative. So then people could read that and maybe just like because it's so easy to hate and it takes a little more work to love but if you do it you feel so much better but i think that's why guys like lenny get so demonized you know because it's just funner well, to you know write negative stuff oh absolutely and and you know what to bring it back to like the instagram baseball community oh, yeah. that's why that came into i think my life and a lot of people's life at the perfect time because 2020 was such a tumultuous, you know, like, like, um, year where so many insane things were happening. We were in one of the most heated, hateful presidential elections in world history. You had this pandemic came that came along that was putting people into a frenzy. And it got to the point where, I didn't want to watch the news at all. Like I wanted to go to work. I wanted to come home. I wanted to be with my family. I didn't want to listen to regular radio. I didn't want to read the newspaper because it was all so negative. And, and, you know, with all the things that were happening last year. So, you know, I think it was early to, I think it was early this year where I was just like enough, like at a time in our history where things are closed down, our kids are missing out on school, like social well-being with each other. We, we as a people should be coming together and if anything, being kinder to other, others than we've been before. And instead we're being negative as, as a society. And I don't think it really was that way because it wasn't that way with people I know and it wasn't that way with people in my community but that's how it was being portrayed in media so when i started my baseball instagram page and all it was was love for the game and people sharing a passion and a hobby and giving positive comments towards each other about baseball cards and baseball players and oh i really like the way you told that story like dude i just dove head into it because it just drowned out all that negative noise that was going on. And I really got hooked on it because, like you said, the comments and the positivity between people 
was just an amazing thing. And it, and it really became like something that I looked forward to doing a few times a week. And before I knew it, like it just became a regular thing. And what I like about it too, and we talked about this before as writers is writing something that other people get a kick out of and the enjoyment in that. Yeah. I think it's all really, I believe that one of the best things we can do as human beings is like come together and share a moment, you know, and build friendships and with like big media, like, yeah, it was been pretty hard to the last year because everything is so just like hyper pissed off all of the time, but to be able to come together and like share a moment and share stories, you know, and do this on a podcast. And like you talk about like your Instagram to be able to do that. It's, it feels good to have friends and it feels good to share experiences. And I think sharing experiences is like so crucial to the human experience and to get together around a sport of baseball helps us to like break down the like the weird shit that is like 2020. Cause if you think about like when me and you grew up, like our lives started in a very analog phase, you know? So we didn't have like mass communication is really weird because it's, it's hard to communicate that way. Like to communicate and have um, like successful dialogue on Twitter is probably the hardest thing to do because people aren't meant to communicate like that. And communicating on the internet like you know troll is a word that used to mean like in the 90s like they were like my sister had those little like troll dolls you know what I mean with the little jewels on them but now like the word troll is like you're an internet asshole and that's what it is and it's so it's so easy to be that right because when me and you were kids like you just talk to people to their face and it's a lot harder to be mean to somebody to their face than it is on the internet but sort of like what we talked about Lenny Dykstra and if you Google him, you only see negative stuff. Like that's how it is with like internet communication now is it's like you can be a troll and just tell people to fuck you and you don't like you can say it because like no one's going to come out of the computer and punch you. Right. And people yeah. just do that more. And somewhere along the line, I think what me and you are experiencing is baseball has broken down those walls of like this mass communication like, you know, how we communicate now. Like, I remember if I, when I got my driver's license, I didn't have a cell phone. So if I wanted to know if my buddy was home and I was like out, I would just drive my truck to his house. And if he wasn't there, I would turn around and leave, right? Like, so that's like sort of the difference <laughs> yeah. in communication, right? You had, to, you'd have to ride your bike or drive your truck to someone's house to like talk to him face to face. And somewhere along the lines, because we don't see people, we communicate differently. And if we're having a bad day, like if I'm having a bad day, I'm an asshole. And if I have the internet, I'm going to be an asshole to the whole world. But I'm so, so thankful for everybody that listens to the podcast, that comes on the podcast. Like I'm so thankful for this conversation because baseball, I think, has broken down that wall. And me and you were able to like discover, you know, commonalities and friendships with people that are across the country that have never met in person. And I think being able to do that breaks down the wall of anger that's in a lot of like social media and mass communication. And I think that sort of inspires us to, you know, dig up some nostalgia, remember some good memories, 
you know, and to like refocus our lives on, you know, not what's happening in the world, but sort of on like the, you know, this macro level of like, hey, I'm in my house with my wife and my daughter and I love them and I should do something right now about that. And it sort of helps get get us like out of this rut, you know, and I bet the conversation that you had with Lenny when you stopped by and said that, I bet he was so thankful that somebody was interested in talking to him in a good way because I could only imagine if I Googled myself and only got bad shit. You know what I mean? Like that would be so bad. Um, yeah. Well, that's what I said to my wife because she, I got home and she, and exactly like you said, and, and it's a perfect example, like not knowing a human being, not never met, not having ever met that person. And she was like, why were you talking to Lenny Dykstra for three hours? And I said, because Leah, as soon as I mentioned baseball, he got excited like a little kid and that's his passion. And that's what he loves. And to be honest with you, it's not my business. Anything else that happened in his life. Like, you know, I don't think as human beings, we would feel that it's our business to approach another human being that's not a celebrity or somebody that we haven't read about in a newspaper or heard about on the radio and comment to them about their personal life. But I, I guess because people feel that like they hear something about somebody, like you said, it gives them a false sense of entitlement to say something to them about them. And what I know about that human being is that he was a pretty damn good baseball player. So that's what I'm going to say. That's what I'm going to mention to him because that's what I saw on the field. And again, I think that is what he appreciated because obviously he's somebody that loves the game of baseball. So through the game of baseball, we're able to sit down and have a damn cool three-hour conversation. So, yeah, man, it just brings everything to, um, I think, a kindness level, because if you have a passion for something, somebody else shares a passion for that, then you break down the other humanistic elements and you start to learn things about them. And you're like, wow, okay. Baseball just opened all these doors about this person. And, and it's amazing, man. And like, I, you know, we've been talking now for over two hours and I think again, like, it's cool. Like I feel like I know you, from listening to your podcast and talking to each other just because we both love baseball so much. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy how like that happened. Like this is the only, the second time we've ever talked and yeah, we're two hours and five minutes. So if you're still listening to this, thanks. But yeah, man, I think everybody deserves grace, you know, like it, there's like people have probably listened to my podcast and listen to me say something, they're like, what the hell did he say? You know what I mean? Because I probably have said stupid stuff. But, like, I don't think, like, one act has to define you. But also, like, I think we sort of just have to – I think it always helps to focus on the good. And somehow, like, I think baseball just does that, you know? Yeah, and i tell you what. I think that – um I give it to you. I think that your podcast, you know, and, and like you said, for anybody that's still listening, it's incredible because, because, uh, 
you know, your podcast gave something to people to listen to that drowned out all the other outside noise that you're constantly hearing in media and allows you to just in, listen to something that you love and it puts you in a better state of mind. And uh, I thank you for that, Clint. I think it's a really cool thing. And I think your, um, your content is so refreshing because you took that angle that, real, that I hadn't heard before after listening to so many sports um, media outlets. And I, I think it's just great that you bring it from a fan's perspective, man. And, uh, you know, when I'm doing my commute for work, um, it gives me, like I said to you before, I enjoy that they're so long because I don't have to listen to the whole thing all at once. So it's like, I'm like, all right, I listened to it for a half hour on the way to work. Now I got the half hour to listen to you on the way home. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you saying that, man. That means a lot. You know, the fact that anybody listens to this podcast, like for two years, probably only my mom listened to it, I think. <laughs> so, I mean, it means a lot, man, because like, I just, I don't know, like, I guess I, I value conversation, like I value dialogue, like to dig into the comments and hear the stuff people have to say, you know, kind words, funny stories. It just, I mean, I don't know, it just means a lot. You know, I think one of the funnest things to do is just sort of like, sit down and talk about sports and talk about life. And I feel like I sort of get that from the Instagram. And then I appreciate you being on here because, you know, we have a conversation that just doesn't have to be about baseball. You know, it's sort of like this intersection of baseball and life. And you said something earlier that sort of, like I sort of implored the question of like, why, like, what is it about baseball that does it? And I still don't know, I guess, the answer to the question but I think baseball might more closely resemble real life because it's 162 games a season. And it's something that me and you could go out and do tomorrow and play baseball. And it's sort of like 162 game baseball season is sort of just like the normal person just going to work. Like me and you work 300 something days a year. You got to go to the work. Like, my work's not super exciting, right? I'm not, you know, digging up holes or building buildings like my dad did or whatever. So it's sort of just like a slow burn. And that's sort of what it is about baseball, too. But because it doesn't have a clock, you can sit out there and actually have conversation with people, which is sort of like what it is going to work as well. You know, you have like the water cooler conversations at work. And it's like you make friends at work because you're sort of stuck there for a while. And a baseball season is like you're sort of stuck with 162 games. And so, well, you got time to talk. And I guess, I think the pace that baseball moves, it's, you know, there's not – there are no clocks. There's no, like, full-court basketball or, you know, crazy, like, football plays or anything like that. Like, it's just like a slow-burn sport that gives the fan time to talk. And it's almost the perfect sport – as like an icebreaker for humans, <laughs> you know, where it's just like, oh, we're watching baseball and there's a natural break between every pitch and then you have innings. And then you can also drink a lot of beer while you're watching baseball, because <laughs> if you're in a football or a basketball games, it seems so hard to like fight the crowd and go get a drink. But there's something about baseball because they come to you and they say, do you want to buy a beer and a hot dog? You don't have to leave your seat. But it's just, I, I still, I'll probably fight with that 
over the next like 100 episodes of trying to figure out what it is about baseball. But I know I'm thankful for it, you know, and like, for example, there's um someone there's a dude that I've emailed back and forth and his name's Anthony. And he's just the sweetest dude. He's got a daughter that's about close to my age. And we'll have conversations about like baseball and life. And those are meaningful conversations. It sort of feels like a meaningful friendship of someone that I've never met. And I think baseball does that because it's just like the perfect introduction for it. Yeah, it gives you time. It's like a slow, yeah, it's like a slow burn of, you know, it gives you time to talk. Because I know when I'm watching football, every time I get up to go to the bathroom or go to the refrigerator, undoubtedly it's the 50-yard pass that I miss. Yeah. <laughs> Baseball, it's like between pitches, you can get you can actually get things done. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the pace of it makes it great. But listen, it, I didn't actually realize we've been talking for so long. I do some things before I um, get ready for bed and, and get up for work in the morning. But I wanted to ask you this. Um, when a guy gets the first base, you always see, you know, the guy that got the first base and the first baseman talking. Do you think when that happens, more time they're talking friendly or more time they're talking shit? It's probably talking friendly because it's either one, they're friends, or two, they're talking friendly to try to distract the other player, right? Because if you're a first baseman, there's a runner on first, talk friendly to him because chances are you're going to distract him a little bit, right? So you don't want to like outwardly talk shit because um, then you might like start a fight and people are going to start throwing fastballs at people. <laughs> I think they're mostly pretty friendly. But listen, before we end this podcast, I've got to make a comment on something that you said. You said earlier, because I'm exploring like this why baseball thing, right? You yeah. said earlier something about like, um, like, like baseball stats, like when you watch baseball, like the names of the players and the stats, it's like those are passed down from generation to generation. And a parent can talk to the kid about the stats, then that kid's going to talk to their kid about the stats, right? So like, and then as you've got like Barry Bonds' stats and Hank Aaron's stats and Babe Ruth's stats. And I don't think maybe you said this, but I think what, you said something that was a catalyst for this. Baseball is a sport that's had numbers that are passed down from generation to generation, right? Like 714, 755, 406. Like these are all meaningful numbers. And when you talk about the parallels of life in baseball, I think as being parents, like Anthony, the dude I just mentioned, he's got a daughter that's about my daughter's age. And we'll talk about doing things with our daughters. And you talked about going to double day field with your daughter and she got to go on the field. Right. And in real life, I think one of the most meaningful things we can do as parents is hand things down to our kids, you know, values, work hard, perseverance, um, sense of humor, loving others, you know, like things like that. And it's almost like baseball does that on a sport level where you've got stats that are handed down from generation to generation. Like 406 is a meaningful number. 62, I think, still is or was a meaningful number, right? And players' names live on forever. You know, Lou Gehrig, Thurman Munson, Don Mattingly, Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, like all of these names will live on forever, and they're enjoyable to pass down. And I think in real life, on a human level, 
it's so beautiful to pass things down in our real life, you know, tell our kids stories, take them to Double Day Field, you know, put a baseball in their hand or softball and do that. So I wonder if that's one of the reasons why baseball is such a good parallel because there's a natural thing in baseball that passes down from era to era. And I think doing that as a family is is really, it's a rewarding thing to do as a human being because I've always like described, like since I've had my daughter, my knees and my back and my feet have never hurt more, but I've never felt (laughs) better because I have this kid and she's wonderful. Absolutely. And you know what? The thing is, like, like you said, I think that with baseball, it's that tradition that people are so enamored with. Like, you know, we love stats. Baseball stats are more revered, I think, by far than any sport. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like we were talking about with the steroids, I think that's why there's such the hate for Barry Bonds and for Roger Clemens because – and, and Alex Rodriguez, yeah. too. I think why baseball went after Alex Rodriguez at the time in the Mitchell report is because he was on pace, I think, before Bonds really came along to break um, Hank, Aaron, 100%. Um, Hank Aaron's record. So that's why they went after him, because those records were so hot, were so revered. But at the same time, this is why I really think that with steroids and why I don't completely blame the players is because if you think about it, like what was the year that they had the strike? Was it 93 or 94? 94. So 94. So 95, like baseball didn't rebound well. Like people were pissed. Tony Gwynn had a shot, a legit shot at hitting 400. Um, I think the Montreal Expos uh, did only yeah. Place. They were I they mean, were on pace to win like 110 games. That 94 Expos team was damn good. Oh my god, and I know you're saying the Expos and so am I and like I still remember that very distinctly. Like you know the Expos being robbed of a chance to go to the postseason and maybe this is a stretch I think that the strike actually may have had something to do with the exposed franchise folding because I don't think they ever went to the postseason. The only and time they it, went to the postseason was in 1981 when that was a strike season and they had the split season. Like they won the second half of that season in their division and then they played in the National League Championship Series against the Dodgers, lost to the Dodgers. But then that was the first year they had a divisional series, and they beat somebody. I don't know who it was. But, yeah, besides 81, like, it was nothing. But you're you're 100% right, because if they had able to finish that 94 season and the Expos put up a run to a World Series, yeah, there could still be a successful team there, possibly. And that's And they had Pedro Martinez then, right? Hell, yeah, they did. They had Pedro Martinez. They had Larry Walker. I think they had Marquise Grissom and Stenner. Yeah. Um, Delano DeShields at first base. And did they have Randy Johnson at that time? No, Randy had already been gone. And Delano had been gone because they traded Delano DeShields to get Pedro Martinez. Okay. So, so Randy was gone, but they had Pedro. They had Ken Hill. 
like Carlos Perez, like those were some of their pitchers. And then like Cliff Floyd was actually playing first and he was an up and coming stud. Cliff Floyd. Then Larry yeah. Walker was on the team. The outfield, if I can remember, was Larry, um, Marquise Grissom, and then oh I don't I cannot. Was it remember. Moises Alou? Yes. Yep. And that was Moises a phenomenal yeah. outfield. That was the outfield. Alou was in left, Larry was in right, Marquise was in center. That was it. And they were fucking good. And the thing is about that strike, people were pissed. I mean, there were a lot of really great things going on that season. And um, the next year, fans didn't come back right away, you know? So I think, like, I mean, come on. Major League Baseball had to know what was going on. Baseball needed something. Baseball needed a catalyst to bring fans back and bring people back to the ballpark. So when Sosa, McGuire, and Giambi and all these guys started hitting home runs, I think baseball kind of kept the cap on it. And then when it came back and the fans came back and people were making money again, then they decided to blow the cover off. So, again, like, I don't, I don't completely blame the players for what happened. I think that there there's plenty of blame to go around with what could have happened with steroids in, in baseball. Yeah, there was a lot of money involved, man. I mean, when home runs are such a big deal, like you got Nike making that campaign of like chicks dig the long ball. Like it was no oh, secret. Yeah. Phenomenal commercial, by the way. But there was no secret. Like they were cashing in, man. Like everyone sort of knew it. And I've sort of been about that stance where I've been like, listen, can I call Barry Bonds a cheater or Sammy Sosa or Mark McGuire a cheater. Well, if I put him in a vacuum with Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth, well, yeah, I guess I could call him a cheater. But if I, it depends what your like what the ask is, right? So if I'm saying if I'm asking, are Barry is Barry Bonds a cheater based in the era that he played in? What Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sosa did and Pudge Rodriguez and Juan Gonzalez and a lot of my favorite guys from the 90s, they were playing within the accepted rules of the game at that time. So can I really call him a cheater? I don't think I can. Now, if I want to look at Barry Bonds' 762 home runs, a little different than Hank Aaron's 755, well, yeah, maybe 755 means more to me than 762. That's enough for me. I'm not going to sit at home and be pissed off all day that Barry you know, and Mark and Sammy took all my hallowed home run records away. To me, 62 still means something. Like, to or 61. To me, 61 still means something. And to me, 755 and 714, like, those numbers mean something to me. And if Albert Pujols were to hit 715 home runs, that's must-watch baseball for me because we're in a different era, and that guy still got that number. So no matter what the steroid era did, you can't take away from me Babe Ruth 714 and Hank Aaron 755. It just doesn't. I think the guys played within the accepted rules of the era. And do I need to call him a cheater to say that their numbers might mean something different than Hank Aaron's? No, I love baseball and I'll just watch it, man. And that's it. I don't have any hate. I love the steroid era. I had fun watching it. And I don't really, it doesn't grind my gears, man. If I post a picture of Barry Bonds on Instagram 
people hate it. They're like steroid user, cheater, <laughs> fucking asshole. It's his head grew so much yeah. heat. It's like what? They're, they're like his head yeah. grew ten sizes. Piece of shit. He ruined the game that I loved. I hope he dies. And I'm like, God, oh, dude. They hate him. But to me, I'm like. No, man. Like, I love baseball, and I love the steroid era. And it's like what you said earlier. It's like, I'm not endorsing steroids. I'm not saying take them. Well, yeah, I know. Like, you don't have to. I, I know that you're not, and I'm not either. I'm just saying, like, I love the different eras of baseball because they all sort of tell a story. Like, now you've got, like, the spider grip and the, the juice balls and launch angle. And I'm like, I may think something about it now, but in 20 years, I'm going to be like, Hey, Frank, you remember all that shit? And you'll be like, yeah, I do, man. They were all idiots. And then we'll laugh about it and enjoy it and then bitch about the current era. It'll be great. Well, and you know what's funny, too? Like, and I think that it's probably something that's not discussed, but like around the turn of the century, when they did barnstorming, you know, and guys would, major league place players would just travel to different cities and play pickup games and see, you know, what what guy in, you know, whatever, Tulsa, Mississippi, wants to try and strike out Babe Ruth? And those barnstorming things probably induced so much gambling. <laughs> yeah, big time. You know, so, so it's like every, like you said, every era had its faults. And that's just the thing. And the biggest thing with me, why we're saying, you know, take away all the stats and take away all the, the, the records. The reason why I take that personal is because the steroid era is my whole era growing up watching baseball. Oh, yeah. Because so, if so you were born you in 79, you were like 19 or 20, so you could like drive to the games. Because me, like I think I was still probably like – I didn't have my driver's license yet, so that held me back a little bit. But I know my brother, he would like – shoot up to St. Louis because we were only two hours away and watch McGuire hit bombs, you know? So, like, you guys born in 79 were at even more of a prime age because you guys were, like, seniors in high school. Like, it was an era that you probably remember the most. And and that's the thing. Like, I feel like people that say they want to erase it from the record books, like, oh. no, you can't do that. That's not fair because that's erasing my era and of I, baseball. That's I love that, my man. time. I've never heard anybody say it like that, man. I like that a lot. So, you know, who are you to say that my two my two decades is growing up as a baseball fan, loving the game, buying the baseball cards, supporting all of the local businesses in my hometown and my community, that that doesn't count, that you're going to erase that? Like, no. Who the hell are you? That That happened, and those are my memories, and those are baseball fans' memories from that time you can't say that that didn't happen you don't have to agree with the stats but to erase it no you you can't do that to people that's to me that's unjust i like that man i've never heard anybody put it like that that's a hundred percent right so you know everybody can have an opinion and the opinion is fine but i i think like you said the game's gone through a lot of transitions, and it will continue to go through transitions. It's like the thing now. Now they're talking about the tack with the pitchers. Why is the batting average so low? Why is offense down? Well, you know what? Like They're all trying to hit home runs it, because they grew up watching the steroid era. <laughs> and it's yeah, not working because they're not as good. They just want to hit bombs, man. Who doesn't? 
and that's it. It's like, dude, you either love the game or you don't. If you're just going to bitch about it all the time, then find something else to watch. Yeah, Go watch man. WWF. <laughs> you know? Dude, I'll tell you what, like, man. If Tony Gwynn was alive and he was in this era, he'd bat 360 and all would be well, man. And he'd show these young whippersnappers how it was. But, yeah, go watch WWF, I guess, man. I love old school WWF, though. For the record, wrestling in the 80s and 90s was the shit. <laughs> well, you know what's funny? I didn't watch it growing up. But now oh, I'm I watching, did, like, all these 30s, 30 for 30s and documentaries. Oh, damn, they're and I'm good. Starting to, oh, my God. Like, I was watching the Ric Flair one. Jesus Christ. He's a madman. A madman. He just said he drank all day, every day for, like, 30 years like, and had sex with, like, 10,000 women. Like, what a crazy guy. But he's also, like, I say those things, and they sort of, like, diminish who he really was. Yo, that guy was a hard worker day in and day out. 360 days a year. That's a tough son of a bitch, man. Ric Flair. Well, you know what I think it was with those wrestling guys, too? Like, I thought it was really interesting when they interviewed his first wife because she basically said that when you become, like, an international wrestling star like those guys, and they basically build a character. Like, they, you know, they become a brand. And that brand is whatever you are, like Hulkamania, you know, Hulk Hogan was like the Hulkster. And like his wife said, like Ric Flair basically became the character full time. So when he came home, he couldn't turn off the switch. And, you know, like being home was too boring to him because Mm -hmm. he was so pumped up about being like rick flair so i don't know that's what i find (laughs) so amazing about like these wrestlers like you said they're really hard workers they busted their ass and created a brand that is like a whole nother element of a human being it's fascinating yeah and rick did it rick flair did it when like i mean that like building a brand like that like wasn't really like a thing you know and it was like him and Hulk Hogan are like those two guys that their brands have just like lasted forever. You know, you got like rappers talking about Ric Flair and Ric Flair is still oh, I relevant. Love that even, interview more, with Snoop Dogg. even more so with Hulk Hogan. And it's just like, this guy just like built this brand. It's like what he did. Like, yeah, I think like maybe his kids hated him for a little bit, which sort of sucks. But what he did, like he's sort of like the Babe Ruth or the Hank Aaron of the wrestling world. Like, he he was doing it in a way that nobody else did. He was so obnoxious. Like, limousine riding, jet flying, kiss stealing, <laughs> wheeling and dealing, son of a gun. He's the coolest guy ever, and he'll always be the coolest guy ever. <laughs> Ric Flair. Jesus, oh. man, what a stud. And what's so amazing about it is, like, I always said, like, I actually think the before and after match interviews were just as good or even better, better than the actual matches. Every promotion, every promo that those those athletes would run, like Macho Man, when he's talking about, oh, yeah, the cream of the crop, brother, and he's got the creamers that I imagine how it went as he was in the locker room slamming coffee about to go out for his promo. He's like, 
I'm going to grab some of this creamer real quick. And then when he goes out there, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm the cream of the crop, brother. And he's like flexing his arms and he's like talking like he does. And yeah, 100% the before and after match interviews are the best. Oh, my God. And they would get so like into him, like, Rowdy, for you, this is just a match. But I remember two years ago when you said my mother smells like burnt toast. It's personal. (laughs) That's it, man. 100%. Dude, they are nuts. Oh, my God. It's so incredible. And the brand is so amazing. Like, And I think I was watching that that um, Hogan show years ago. Oh, I, and I, I watched Hogan, that when it was on. Yeah. And I think Hogan said that his agent came to him with the George Foreman grill first. No fucking before, way. Really? Before it was offered to George Foreman. <laughs> and he turned it down? What an idiot. I think I think what happened was his agent said to him to turn it down and go with a protein shake mix because that's what people knew him for so it would be easier to market. You mean so it could have so been not the Foreman the, grill. We could have all been using Hogan grills right now. I probably would have used oh that. I would have used that son of a bitch if Hogan was on it. I'd be grilling chicken all day, but nope, never mind, pal. Let me tell you, I used to have one. The thing is good. Did you ever see that episode of The it, Office where Michael Scott put his foot on the Foreman grill when he was cooking bacon? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, he sure did, the office is, Oh, my God. I, you know, it's so funny you mentioned The Office. I think Dwight's one of the best characters ever in history. He is, man. That episode where he cuts the face off of the CPR dummy and does the thing from Silence <laughs> of the Lips. He goes, hello, Clarice. <laughs> he whips out his <laughs> knife because they go, like the lady leading the class goes, because nobody could pay attention because they were trying to teach the CPR. And the CPR instructor goes, well, now your patient's dead. What are you going to do? Because she's pissed because they've all done it wrong. Creed goes, well, I already checked his wallet and he didn't have one, you know, because he stole the wallet, <laughs> presumably. And then Dwight goes, harvest organs. He pulls a Bowie knife out of his fucking ankle, <laughs> stabs the dummy in the chest, carves out the heart, and then cuts the face off, puts it over his face, goes, hello, Clarice. And then when they interview him in New York, the Dwight's boss goes, well, Dwight, you wouldn't be in so much trouble, but why did you cut the face off the mannequin? And Dwight goes, I don't know. I just want to see what it felt like. It felt good. <laughs> Fucking maniac. Jeez, Dude, the whole thing is so good. You know who's always good too? Moe's. Moe's is an underrated office character by far. Like that guy, when Dwight takes Ryan out for like sales training and takes him to Shroot Farms, and they want him to, like, they want Ryan to, like, get in the casket, and, like, Moe's comes out of nowhere. It's priceless, man. Oh, my God. Do you remember the one when um, uh, with Jim and Pam are going there? I think they're spending, like, the night at, like, the Shroot Farms. Oh, and yeah, dude. In the driveway, oh. And Moe's all of a sudden pops out of nowhere and just starts running. <laughs> he sure did, man. He's just running with him the whole time. It's like, what the hell's going on, man? Ah, oh, dude. It's unbelievable. And you know what? I remember I was so upset when that got taken off of Netflix. Because, like, that was, like, my go-to. Dude, that and Mad Men were, like, two of my, like, Netflix go-tos. And Mad Men's off now. And then, yeah, The Office is gone. And I'm like, dude, I could just watch those over and over again. Yeah, because if there was no game on and, like, 
you know, my wife is usually asleep by like nine o'clock on a work night. I would just turn on the office and go to any old episode and just start watching it. And like, I just watch three episodes and go to bed. Absolutely, man. I might, you know what? Let's do that now, man. We're at two hours and 33 minutes. We'll wrap this bad boy up. Sounds good. Listen, Quentin, awesome talking to you, man. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, I just want to say thank you again for providing me with something to listen to to drown out all the negative noise that, that you know, was, was um, infiltrating media over the last year. And, uh, dude, just so, such a good time getting to know you a little bit more and talking baseball. Dude, right on, man. Dude, likewise, man. I really appreciate you being on, dude. This was a blast of a conversation. And, listen, I'm going to press stop on this in a second, but don't hang up your phone because I don't want it to all mess right. up, right? Because we run a fancy operation here at The Greatest Show on Dirt. But until next time, <laughs> Frank. Uh, we'll talk again, man. Take care, dude. All right. Sounds good, man. Have a good night. Bye.